Welcome to the Perp Web Podcast, hosted by Joe Bosch. All right. Well, I think we can get started. Um, what I'd like to do, if I can, let me grab a sip of coffee. Hmm. Okay. And I am going to start my timer and come over here to the front and go over some stuff so that I can keep track of what I'm doing here. Okay, fantastic. All right, so since January, and we talked about it actually last year as well, but since January in earnest, and believe it or not, it's really taken us this long to do, um, but we have retooled the studio in order to bring you as realistic as possible in a virtual world, ECMO simulation. So historically, traditionally, and, and probably much easier is to do ECMO simulation on site at a place and be able to do it. Um, but we have seen so much incredible uncertainty over the past few years with COVID that at any given moment, we could not be together or being able to be together. And there's a lot of people that just simply can't travel, don't want to travel. Um, it's time, it's budgets, it's all, that's the whole purpose of PerfWeb. The whole point of this is to try to bring a meaningful education program to the virtual audience anywhere in the world and be able to do it in a polished, professional, sophisticated, and fun way. Um, we're all learning together. Uh, I know you guys have been incredibly patient. Um, some of our programs have exploded. I think, I don't know if David has the uh, the the fire, but uh, sometimes our programs feel a little bit uh, like this. I don't know if he could do it or not, but let's see. Yeah, yeah, that's sometimes about what it has looked like. Okay, we can uh, we can move on from there, um, and I appreciate that. And sometimes, you know, the program is turned into the uh, my my favorite animal. You know, I have a I have them right there, but I think Matt, I think David has that too. So sometimes it just goes like this. Oh, maybe not. Okay. Yeah, David was actually preparing stuff for today's program, but I thought maybe we could pull that up. Well, if you get it, that's fine. You can get it. Mm -hmm. There we go. Yes, that's my favorite animal. And sometimes it feels, yes, sometimes, thank you. Sometimes it actually feels like that to me. I don't know what it's like for y'all out there, but that's how it feels to me. So I want to give you a quick tour of what it is we've done. Uh, now, this is the base. You see our, our broadcast desk. Um, you see our, our new monitors back there, uh, which is now sort of a video wall type of setup where we're going to be able to do the, say, um, operating room scenes and stream them into there 
so that you can actually see something going on in the operating room. It might be even me doing it. Maybe it's an angiovac case. Maybe it's an ECMO. Uh, maybe it's a heart, whatever the case may be. You'll be able to see it, but it'll also be streaming on the desk here. We may have people at the same time who can commentate about what they're seeing up at the monitor and what you're seeing uh, there in the uh, there at home or the office or wherever it is you may be. Okay, so this is our standard studio. You've seen it many times. It's what it looks like, um, and uh, uh, I'm very proud of it. I think it's turned out super well. But let's take a look at the simulation se uh, section. So I'm going to wander over there. So, so we're going to camera two. Okay. So this is our simulation section. This is our obviously our ECMO platform. Uh, we're using the um, uh, Levanova SCPC, which is kind of a system three based. Now they have discontinued this particular model, but I, I still like the platform. The other platform that they have with the S5 is a little too big and bulky, but that's another thing altogether. We could talk about ECMO platforms all day long, uh, but there's so much that needs to change with this to make it so that, because this is very affordable. And the other things that are out there are very expensive and almost to the point of being cost prohibitive. It's really difficult for somebody like me to take a system like this that is so highly functional. I can transport on an airplane with this. I can transport on a helicopter with this because you don't take the whole uh, trolley. You just take the battery pack, the controller, this pump, the hand crank, obviously. It all fits on top of the patient. Uh, with a little base that we have and it goes on the gurney and just goes with the patient and you can control it from the side. So very nice platform and unfortunately though there's not enough money in it so they've discontinued this uh, which is disappointing. We're also using the, in this scenarios, we're using a, uh, this is a polypropylene fiber oxygenator. You have of course polymethylpentene but we can talk about that. Our centrifugal pump is uh, also Levanova, our tubing. Um, this is our mannequin here. You can see up at the top, we have a reservoir that we use to flow back and forth through. The lines are going into the patient here and here, and then coming out the back and making their way there. This patient, if we go to camera five, just a down view for a second, you can see the patient here. We have, um, everything happening with that and then we'll go back to camera two i apologize and i don't because i don't think you can see it underneath the bed so i don't think you're gonna be able to see it without the mevo camera but maybe you can right here is the ecmo simulator it's right here it's silver it says clr on it which is curtis life resources you can see it and you can see it on the bottom very good and that's our ecmo simulator from curtis life resources it's the eigenflow um, and then uh, then we go to, where do we go now? So back to two. And then you can see here we have the, um, we can have a ure ureimeter. This patient was obviously given methylene blue. We have the uh, transonic ELSA meter and uh, that kind of thing. So let's go to camera five and let's do all of those, whatever those zones are that we do. Let's just go through them all. So this is an overhead view of the patient. The patient is actually cannulated in the abdomen here and uh, the lines are going in. So we make all of our connections in here. So I'm gonna go ahead and cover that back up again. You can see that we have, uh, so we can go to zone one, 
let's just go zone one, zone two, zone, just go through all the zones. So we can look at the cannula here. If we're looking at the chest, we can look at the cannulation coming out of the chest here. If we're looking at the groin, we can see it here and check our cannulation site and so forth like this. And let me go like that. There you go. So we could check and see what, oh, you, 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 where'd, you, where'd we go? After zone three, we go to zone, well, I wanted to also show that you could see the legs and if you had, yeah, there you go. And if you had any kind of uh, bluing or modeling or whatever, let's say you were cannulated in the femoral artery instead, we could mimic that here with just some uh, coloration and it's simulation. So you have to take that into consideration, right? But you could see it and then the appropriate thing would be to put an SFA line in. And then, uh, then we can go to the next section. So here's our ECMO pump itself. You can see everything very clearly. Um, you have, and I had put some red dye in this, but it really didn't work that well. I didn't like it. I don't think you need it. Um, but here is our centrifugal pump. You can see our access line, line to the oxygenator, line coming out of the oxygenator, various different research lines, our oxygen line hooked up to an oxygen tank back here, our pressure monitors here, transducers, and uh, we have all of that. And then uh, what's next? How about uh, camera? No, let's do camera six. So let's look at camera six. And this is another view of the same thing. So if I want to shoot a recirculation, you can see the transonic elsimeter simultaneously to seeing the circuit and understanding what direction all of these lines are going. Coming from the field red, and which is going uh, blue, I'm sorry, going coming from the field, coming into the pump, out through the oxygenator, returning to the field as arterialized red blood. And the tubings are all marked, and I put tape in various different locations so that you could understand very easily what is supposed to be blue, what is supposed to be red, and then you can see this monitor here, which is the transonic elsimeter. And we can focus on this and simultaneously, so you can see the injection and understand it. Oops. Yep. That was a, I, I didn't move the camera. Magic moved the camera. There you go. We could see the injection and understand where it's going and how it's actually done. And then once this begins to analyze, we can focus in on this as well. Mm -hmm. There you go. That's perfect. That's really good. That's going to look really good. You can also see some cannulation issues here if we had bleeding or whatever the case may be. So I think this has turned out pretty well as far as having um, actually really well. I'll rephrase that um, with everything we have. Okay, so now let's do a quick tour of the entire studio. So I'm going to walk from here to this side, and you can see the back of the studio. There's David and Magic. You guys can wave. There you go. And then we can just pan all the way around, and we can come over to what is our green screen. Now, our, our, our green screen area, um, as you can see, the wall is painted green, um, and uh, uh, you see our podium here. 
And on the podium here, and here are my slides for any kind of slide presentations. What camera am I looking at? Mevo. Mevo or six over there? Okay. No, that's okay. Stay right there. Um, and we have we have a ventilator, we have a patient monitor, uh, a, a uh, an instructor, and a student or a learner. We have the EigenFlow uh, iPod, which has the app on it that I can change various parameters with. Amazing Studio, thank you, Hassan. Uh, so we have that there. That is really cool. And uh, and now here's for the magic, okay? So the magic part of this, I just love. So we're gonna go, here we go, there it is right there. So we have, and then uh, I think uh, David usually puts me in there too, but we're, and we're, he's getting there. And so he has to, you know, there's a lot of buttons that you have to press to do this. And he's, it's only two, and really it's two guys back there, but, uh, but mostly it's David. Oh, it's not working? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's blinking green. Mm -hmm. Well, let's go to another camera and I can talk while you do that. So, yeah, camera one, that's good. So getting back to the uh, eigenflow, the eigenflow also comes with, so the the, let me let me grab the iPod real quick because I can talk about this. I just have to unplug it. So just give me one second. So, so Paul Curtis, nice guy, great guy. Uh, this is where I got it from. So on the iPod, it has a variety of different things, and you're going to see that as we go forward but you have selected scenarios that you can do, which is oxygenator failure, venous air embol entrapment, high pressure, high pre-oxygen pressure, high post-oxygenator pressure, VV ECMO preparation, leaky stopcock, ECMO pump chatter, which I'll show you today, kink tubing, hypovolemia, cardiac tamponade, and differential hypoxemia. And it comes with a monitor that integrates into this and all of these parameters you can change on your on your screen here. It also um, has a book, which I think is very useful as well. And in the book they have, uh, which this is the book here, I think you can see it, Eigenflow Advanced. And you have a variety of different things and I'm just gonna get right to the section so there are clinical scenarios that you can do, and I think you can see that, which has a, uh, the yellow is for children or orange, and the blue is for adult. And you have oxygenator clot. It tells you the information, gives you the scenario, everything you need to do. And so amazing, thank you, Sumithi. Um, and uh, here's, that's a pediatric one here, air entrapment. That's a problem regardless, right? High post-oxygenator pressure, high pre-oxygenator pressure, and you just go on down the list. VV ECMO preparation, so there's a lot of things you could do. Okay, we've got it going now. So I'll go back over there. So Curtis Life Resources, check them out. Eigenflow. I'm very pleased with it. Okay, so this is where 
the magic happens. All right, I'm back. There it is. So now we're able to bring you everything that you see here. So I'll start from the far side, which is on your left, top left, is the patient monitor. And in the patient monitor you have, and this comes from True Monitor, it says it right there, your heart rate, you can change the EKG to something else, atrial fib, VTAC, whatever you want to do. You have your uh, blood pressure, uh, in, uh, your invasive, obviously. You have your uh, pulse ox, you have end tidal CO2. Down here, you can run a non-invasive if you want to check and see what's going on. You have a patient temperature. There are a couple of other things that you can put on here that are variables that you can look at, like PA pressure, or CVP or LA pressure or whatever you whatever you want to do right then here's our ventilator this patient has moderate to severe ARDS um, they've put the patient on APRV as a setting so that they can extend his eye time and this is going to be what we're going to have for the first scenario you can see our peak pressures are 20 um, and that's where we've limited it. He's got reasonable tidal volumes, 399. I've seen them as low as 50 cc's, so not too terribly bad, but certainly low. Um, this patient does have a compliance problem, uh, but we are on lung rest settings with the lower pressure, which could be actually lower, and then also the uh, FiO2 down here that you see, right there is 40. And all of these parameters can be changed uh, while we're doing the various scenarios. Here's our ECMO controller, the SCPC. This dial here increases and decreases your RPMs. Here you have the various pressures, the uh, uh, return pressure, which is positive, your access pressure, which will be negative, and understanding these relationships as they uh, relate to the flow, obstructions, cannula size, all of that kind of stuff. This is our eigenflow monitor. You can have a bunch of information on this and have it be much, much larger. But what we have on here is sweep and uh, FiO2 of the ECMO for the purposes of the um, scenarios that we're doing today. There'll be other days where we do scenarios where we'll be using this more so than we'll be using these. Uh, but those will be different scenarios that we're gonna do. And then here you see our uh, camera angles that we can do. We can change this on the fly. So let's go to camera five down, down looking view. Camera five, zone one. And we have a little map and I've tried to remember as much as I can, but I haven't remembered a whole lot. And then David will move that camera five zone, zone one. There you go. Camera five, zone one. So if we wanted to talk about the cannulation site in the right IJ, let's say this was a dual lumen catheter, like a crescent or an avalanche, whatever it is, we would be able to look and see if there was some migration and how that may be being affecting our flow, our pressures, and our uh, patient monitor and our labs. Also, something else about the TrueVent give you something very interesting that it can do is I can come over here and I can do this. Um, I'm sorry, hold on. Oh. 
I had to do that. Sorry, I had to push a button. I can come here, send and show. There you go. I can pull up patient labs. And let's look at that, okay? Now I just picked the first thing that popped up, so this is not necessarily related to our simulation today. But I can do that. I can also come over here and I can do an echo, depending on what it is I'm trying to show. I can also come over here and show a CT. And we can look at those are some really crappy looking lungs. We've seen that many times. Um, we can show various different images, including some good x-rays. So here is a, uh, a very good x-ray of COVID-19. And you can see uh, this is somewhat asymmetrical. The right lung's a little worse than the left lung, but you see that haziness, ground glass, opacities they talk about. I've never really been able to appreciate it. But so there's a host of various things that we can do while we're looking at everything else that's going on and put them all into context with one another. And that's what I really like. Um, we can blow up SimMan and look at that in, 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 in a large screen. We can make him full screen. Mm -hmm. And we're learning. So sometimes it takes just a second for us to get all of our ducks in a row. And uh, David is uh, one person doing the job of 10. There we go. So we can make that large and be able to talk about that. And what's so really cool about this is if you don't mind, just leave that there for a second. I want to show people something because I can walk all the way over here and I can take this and I can point to something from over here on that monitor at the same time I am touching the patient to bring your attention to it. I think that is just so incredibly cool that I can do that. Okay, and then of course we can do our slides. So once we get through with that, and uh, this is going to be our scenario today. And uh, so I've given you a, a tour. You've had the grand tour of the, of the, of the studio. Um, I have to make a few minor adjustments in order to be able to begin this scenario. So we're gonna take two minutes. Two minutes is long enough, David? Two minutes. We're going to take two minutes and uh, get everything set up and then jump right back into it. And we'll start with scenario number, uh, the first scenario for today, which is actually going to be titled uh, Hyperdynamic Patient VQ Mismatch of the ECMO Circuit, which is going to be, I think it's a, if we understand what VQ Mismatch is, I think you're going to see that the, you can have a VQ Mismatch of the ECMO as well. I think it's an entertaining uh, but very informative uh, simulation. And welcome back. And uh, so we're going to go ahead and get started on this scenario, uh, which again is VV ECMO, 
Uh, well, no, go back to that. I just want to stay on the slides. Um, hyperdynamic state and VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit. So we're going to uh, go here. And we're going to click this. And we're going to begin the scenario. Now, I want to set this up so we have sound and everything, right? Okay. So you come in and you're taking your shift over and this is what you find. You gonna go to the multi-pack? Yeah, multi-screen. Okay, here's, here's how you start your shift. And the, I don't wanna say what you actually say, but you're gonna say probably something similar to what I'm gonna say is, are you, you have to be kidding me. And it gets reported to you that this has basically been going on all day. The patient is tachycardic, patient is mildly hypertensive, saturations are not good, um, and uh, the ventilatory settings, as you see, are what they are, and no one has done anything yet to try to address this problem. Um, patient's temperature is 36.4, so they're certainly not febrile. Um, our flows are three liters. You got plenty of room to go. Uh, our pressures, access and return are relatively low, and our FiO2 on the uh, oxygenator is 100%. So I'm gonna put this on pause, and we're going to take a look at some things. So let's go large on the monitor. So the patient is COVID ARDS, 44-year-old female, 170 centimeters, 60 kilos, BSA is 1.7. This is ECMO day 10 with dual cannulation technique, not a dual lumen catheter, dual cannulation technique, which is a 22 French uh, access catheter in the right femoral vein which is uh, inserted up into the low or to the uh, high uh, inferior vena cava at the uh, uh, IVC RA junction. And in the right, IJ is an 18 French art uh, percutaneous arterial catheter for the return, and that is positioned in the SVC, somewhere close to the SVC RA uh, junction. Uh, the patient's vent is at lung protective uh, vent settings. I showed you that a little bit earlier. Our current ECMO settings are a blood flow of three liters per minute. FiO2 is at 100%. Our sweep is at four liters. Temp is 37.2 or 36.4, whichever you wanna believe, the monitor or me. Uh, the patient is very hypertensive, or had been very hypertensive, and this is given to you in report, and tachycardic for several hours now, and the patient was given two rounds of 20 milligrams of labetalol to try and control that, but it really hasn't uh, worked all that well. So let's go back up to the, uh, to the monitor. And so you see again, here's our presentation. So let's go to a uh, large view of SimMan, please. So initial camera five.
perfect. I like the way that does that. So I'm gonna walk over here to this. So a couple of things we're gonna do is we're gonna look at the patient, okay? That's number one. Uh, what's his color look like? What's this look like? Is this return, this is the return, is it red? Because one of the first things you're gonna wanna know is, is your oxygenator, is this an oxygenator problem or is this a patient-related problem? So is this red? We're gonna look down here at the access. How dark is it? Is it coming out black? Is it coming out, you know, basically looking like, you know, on pump, you know, you got a reason a little bit lower sat. And you can usually tell just by looking at the lines. In fact, if you look here, you see the lines together. Many times I like to put the two lines together and get, and can you come over here to, to uh, zone five? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's good. And I like to put the two lines together and look, do I see a clear color difference? And if I'm seeing that and I have confidence just visually that the oxygenator is working and that's not the problem, we've looked at the vent, we've assessed that that's not the problem, well then it's gotta be something else. So let's go to my slides if I can, please. Excellent. So the patient sats persistently low, the patient tachycardic, hypertensive, and the condition since you started your shift is deteriorating. So you're, you, you've just been handed a, uh, a real gem, if you will. So why is this happening? Well, check and confirm the vent FiO2. Severe ARDS, no, tidal volumes aren't that low, but there's a question as to whether you're gonna get any lung contribution. So what do we, you know, but look, I mean, we're kind of in a, in a mess here. So let's go to the vent on full screen if we can. And I'm going to change the FiO2 because that would be one of the first things I'd wanna do. It's the easiest thing to do and I'm just gonna set that at 100% and continue to go to the multi-pack. And we're gonna run this and see, do we get any improvement at all? Are the lungs gonna be able to help me in any way whatsoever? And uh, right now it looks like, well, I saw 81, and sometimes it takes a few minutes, but we may not see anything. So. I would say in this particular circumstance, going up on the vent is not really helping us. And I think that at the end of the day, this patient is going to need something other than what it is we're, we're, we're able to provide here. But I'm gonna leave it at 100% because it's the appropriate maneuver to do in this circumstance, right? And if you have an idea of something else to do if, when I get through with this that you think I should have tried, please let me know. Because I'm trying to go through this just like I would as if, I, and I've done this. This is actually something that I have seen a, 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 a more times than I care to remember. Um, the other thing we can do is we can check an ABG. So we're gonna draw the ABG, and as you well know, 
when you draw an ABG, you have to send it out and it's going to take you a little bit of time for it to come back. But let's see if all of these numbers are correct because you can have a pulse ox that says that. Uh, sometimes you can tell by the color of the blood. Sometimes you really can't. We're going to wait and see what actually happens. Now, I don't know if you noticed that or not, but this yellow button just popped up that says investigations right here. And when that happens, this is a very efficient lab. The labs will come back and I'm going to pull it up. So let's go full screen on the labs. And sure enough, what do you see? Uh, patient's pH isn't too bad. PCO2 is 48. PO2 is 57. Uh, saturation is 83. So we definitely see a correlation. The labs, in fact, are real. So you have to now believe that pulse ox is accurate. Now we've got to come up with something else to do. So let us, if we may, go to our slides. And we ran the scenario. So let's talk about, actually, before I do that, go back to the multi-pack. So what is something else that I can do? Well, I can increase the flow of the pump, right? So let's do that. So magic, oh no, nobody's here. So excuse me one second, I'll turn the flow up. That would be the next maneuver. And I went ahead and pushed the flow up to 4.2 to see if that's going to provide us any benefit. And keep in mind that there are times when doing, increasing your flow, depending on whether you have any recirculation, positioning of things, can actually make matters worse. And actually, I'm seeing that happen in real time. Our sats have dropped another couple of points yet I increased my flow to 4.2 liters per minute. Now it increased my access pressure to minus 87. My return is still relatively low. I probably still have room to go up, but increasing that flow based on the pulse ox, which I know is working because I checked it with the lab, got slightly worse. I don't know that I want to go up anymore. And we're going to talk a lot about recirculation and how that happens and why it happens and how going up on the flow doesn't necessarily get you out of trouble. It can actually make matters worse. So the other thing I want to do is I want to do a uh, echo, a bedside echo of the patient. So let's order it. We're ordering a bedside echo. That is also a very efficient uh, department, and they are coming in, and we have, in fact, the echo has arrived. We're going to pull it up, and there is your echo. We can go full screen, and you can see it's kind of jumpy, isn't it? Huh. Can't say I'm too happy with that, but because um, it doesn't look that way here. Well, that's a terrible image but it's showing a very hyperdynamic heart. So I can't say I'm very happy with that, David. Is there anything we can do to make it better or not? I'd have to restart. Okay. So we'll just leave that alone. Okay. So we'll take that down. So we'll check that. The other thing that we can check is a flow track, right? 
Oh, let's see. They just put that up. I don't know why that happened. So I'm going to go to investigations. We're going to look here. We're going to look at a flow track. The flow track shows a cardiac index of 4.8 uh, liters per meter, minute per meter squared, which is enormous. That's a very high cardiac index. So I'm starting to develop a train of thought here that I think might make sense. And it may make sense to everyone. There's one other thing that I want to do, and that is I want to check a recirculation. So we're just going to show a recirculation, and we will teach you how to do it properly. But right now, I just want to look at it and see what it says. And we do a recirculation with the transonic ELSA meter, and it is less than 5%. Any time, and these waveforms are very simple to interpret. Your initial injection is going to give you an oxygenator blood volume. That's this uh, curve you see here. The red curve is the first pass past the uh, electromagnetic transducer, and this is what it sees the density change. And then the blue is the blood coming back to the system which is gonna measure recirculation. And then after that, it goes through the capillaries and it keeps coming back and trails off. And it internally calculates the recirculation, in this case, less than 5%. It also uh, calculates oxygenator blood volume. And in this case, it is 99% of what was the baseline when you first set it up. Uh, but it, and it gives you your arterial flow and your effective ECMO flow, which is this number. You can see they're both the same, okay? Um, anytime you see a very, very low, less than 5% or absolute zero recirculation, and you'll hear me say this many times today, it is going to be a result of a hyperdynamic state. In other words, you're only flowing 3,700. The heart is probably pumping 8, 9, 10 liters. So there is literally so much flow that even with a slightly malpositioned cannula or not the best cannulation strategy, the washout is so fast, nothing is coming back in recirculation. In contrast to that, if you see a very high recirculation, with perfect cannula positioning, it is almost always due to at least right heart failure or some kind of heart failure because there's so much time, you're flowing higher than the cardiac output and you're getting that volume to come back. And we can discuss that when we train, we do an actual simulation on the, sim on the um uh, transonic ELSA meter and we shoot it and I can show you how all of that works and it will make sense to you a lot more but this I think may, I think this is very easy to understand um, the oxygenator blood volume is very important because if you're this is VV ECMO but if even if you were VA ECMO you can run the oxygenator blood volume obviously not recirculation but this tells you the health of your oxygenator the only thing that will reduce that is going to be clot. Not going to be styrofoam because that's not in there. It's going to be clot. 
So if you're running very low to no anticoagulation, which we have done a lot of, this is something you're going to want to measure at least once a day, probably twice a day, to make sure that the health of your oxygenator is okay. You don't have an impending problem. You can lose up to 50% of your oxygenator volume and not see a significant increase in your, uh, uh, in your uh, return pressure. So your pre-oxygenator, your delta P across the membrane, whichever you prefer to measure. There's all kinds of places to measure um, and all kinds of, and we'll discuss that as well as we get through these simulations. So let's go ahead back to the multi-pack if we can. And we've looked at all of that. Uh, we can go back to the patient monitor and take our, uh, oh no, I have to do that, not you. Thank you. Okay. So now what is another option that we can do? Well, let's go back to our slides. Well, we can keep trying to increase flow. We can add cannulas. Access is probably your limiter more so than return. Um, but, you know, you'd have to make that call. You can do dual circuits in the butterfly technique, and I'll show you what that looks like. You could lower the patient's temperature a little bit just to deal with the low cardiac, uh, with the low saturation, at least temporarily. You don't want to leave it there for a long time. Uh, maybe some increase in infection risk and things like that. Um, or you could give a short-acting beta blocker like Esmolol. So let's see. Here is basically, this is the cannulation technique we're currently using. We're draining out of the, you see it here in the high IVC coming down this way, going to the pump over there. And it's going through up there and returning back to the heart. And you can see it there in the low SVC at the RA. This is the technique that we are actually using. And what you can do if you want to is, as you see, this is just a, 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 a diagram hand-drawn. Oh, I just froze. Hold on. I don't know if y'all can still hear me, but just go to a different camera, dude. Do something. Go to camera one while you fix it. There you go. I'll come over here so that they don't just look at that. Technical difficulties. That's what you got to love about doing these kinds of, uh, of programs is technical difficulties. They're always fun. And uh, so we're turning it off and turning it back on. But getting back to that situation that I was talking about, um, you know, you can add cannulas, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and why you have um, one, uh, one is better access versus return is, uh, is better. So we're going to, I think we're ready? Not yet. Okay. And uh, uh, while we're talking, let's see what else I could talk about. Um, uh, the next simulations that we're going to do, we're going to have, I think Ann Grecho is going to be joining us this afternoon too. Okay. I got the thumbs up. We're ready to go. Okay, I was running out of mumblings to do. I wasn't doing too good extemporaneously that time. So let's throw our slide, ba our slide back up. And almost always, when you have a problem with flow, 
a limitation of flow, it's almost always going to be access. It's pretty rare that it's going to be return, unless you've got a really small cannula in there, big access and a small little return. But you can usually pump through something a lot easier. You can suck, uh, suck it out. A hard cardiac output and mismatch ECMO blood flow. Bingo. You know what? Your uh, sympathy, excellent. Okay. So what we're going to do is add another access cannula here and wire them together right here going to the uh, centrifugal pump itself. So in this way, you can increase your access if you had high negative pressure and make that a little better. But that's really not what we need to do in this circumstance. Actually, and let's talk about the uh, Sumathy gave us the answer. So, and let's see if anybody else can get the answer. I'm curious. So basically, here's the parallel circuits for patients that need 10 liters of flow. And you're taking from uh, the uh, right femoral going up to the right IJ, the left femoral with a totally different circuit going up to the left subclavian. And in this way, you basically can increase your flow to astronomical levels. And there are some people that may need that, but I can assure you there's going to be a lot of recirculation going on in this, but you have to have it. There are some patients that just need that. Okay. And uh, let's take those. Uh, let's go to the, yeah, that's good. I also wanted to talk about um, what is wrong with this patient. How are we going to fix this patient? Well, I'll tell you what I would do, and Sumathy has done the exact same thing. I'm going to start some Esmolol. So the nurses have got the Esmolol. It's on the thing. It's running in. It's so rapid and so uh, short-acting. You can always turn it off, and immediately, immediately, you see significant improvement. In fact, so much so that I can go back and turn my inspired oxygen on my ventilator back to 40% so that we don't cause that, ca that caustic, uh, that caustic uh, damage to the alveolus from the high inspired uh, 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 FiO2 and look what's happened. Our heart rate's dropped. Our blood pressure certainly has dropped as well. If you're hypotensive already, Esmolol can be a little bit tricky. You got to be careful. But this patient is young. They, that blood pressure certainly is fine for them. Look at our SATs bumped right back up again. And this has all happened because of, uh, and let's go to the uh, slides at a full slide. This has all happened because of VQ mismatch. We're going to talk about how, one, VQ mismatch of the lung. We all are very familiar with this, so let's just go over it very quickly. You can have hypoventilation. You can have intrapulmonary shunt, like a PE or something like that. Um, you can have a uh, ventilation perfusion mismatch, which is a low VQ. And you can have what we're dealing with in this scenario is a diffusion impairment. And if you look here, you see the representation of these alveoli are showing a thickening. Okay, you don't see it in the other ones. So this is what we're dealing with. High airway pressures, very non-compliant lungs, thickened 
diffusion barrier, your alveolar capillary membrane, and this is going to cause you to have a very low PO2 uh, for that patient. So if the patients, and here's another representation, I think this is even better actually, that's basic VQ mismatch. So VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit is this. Your cardiac output of the patient is six liters, possibly even higher. Your ECMO flow rate is only three liters. You're assuming for the sake of this discussion, zero recirculation. That's going to give you an effective ECMO flow of only 50%, which means in essence, only 1.5 liters of that three liters that you see there is actually making its way to the left atrium through the pulmonary veins. So you have three liters of blood coming down this way, and I'm just splitting it, it's probably not exactly that, right? And we have three liters of blood coming from the bottom portion of the body, so six liters is dumping into this area that's desaturated, deoxygenated blood, venous blood. The ECMO is only pulling f uh, three liters of it. So three liters never gets into the ECMO cannula and make its, makes its way to the RV, the pulmonary artery, through the lungs where it's not getting any contribution, coming back to the left atrium. So now you have basically split you could have a PO2 of 300 coming out of the oxygenator, it's still only 100% saturated, right? The PO2 is a minuscule amount of actual oxygen. It's all in the saturation. And you're, so you're saturated at 100% here, but you're mixing it with a saturation of only 70 or 80%. It's going to be much, much, much lower, actually lower than that. You're saturating it at, at 60%. And so you can see why your arterial saturation is going to be low. That is a classic VQ mismatch of the ECMO circuit, which is exactly what Sumathy said. So my compliments to Sumathy. In fact, we're gonna send you either, a, I think one of the wine goblets or a coffee cup. The wine goblet can be used as a, uh, as a, for, for a cold drink or a hot drink, whatever you want. So there's some options there, or t-shirt, cap, whatever the case may be. Okay, let me see if I have any other slides, if I can. Go back to the multi-pack. And I think we have one more, one more simulation to look at. Yep, that's, I think, the last slide. I think we looked at this. Did we look at this slide? No, I don't think we did. This is another very good slide. I think it explains it well. You can see your access here. You can see your access down here. And you can see your return here. If what's in this gray line is three liters combined, one and a half from there, one and a half from here, but what's in here and here combined as it enters here, is double that, then you're only treating 50% of the blood that's coming out here and going into the RV. So you're mixed 
down here. And that's what I was referring to as far as that's concerned. Okay, so let's look at one more thing, and that's the patient monitor. And we've run a, we've repeated the blood gas. And let's see. Forgive me. Oh. There you go. There we go. There's the blood gas, okay? So let's throw that up and make it large. And look, look at this. Our PO2 is 89.7, our PCO2 looks great, pH is good, SAT is now 97, um, and uh, everything else looks good. So you know what this means at the end of the day? It means you're going to have a great rest of your shift. So we can go back to our our, our movie or we could go back to our game or we could actually help the nurses with turning the patient cleaning the patient checking the patient checking our circuit which we should always be doing very diligently but at least you're not going to have that issue to worry about so we're going to take a five minute break while we get prepared for our next simulation and we will be right back welcome back and we're going to start with our next uh, scenario, let's put our slides up if we can. And what I'm gonna do this time is I'm gonna go through the slides um, a little bit farther and then start the actual scenario. So this is a recirculation uh, of the VV ECMO. So patients on VV ECMO, um, in this particular case, please forgive me, it's going to be a uh, a, a double lumen single cannula technique coming from the right IJ. And uh, we're going to look at the patient. Patient is COVID with severe ARDS, 50 year old male, stable, currently in prone position. Um, patient is 180 centimeters, 90 kilograms. BSA is 2.1 meters uh, squared. This is ECMO day 34. We have the patient on lung protective vent settings, but uh, you'll see here shortly that's not, his lungs are very stiff. Current ECMO settings are a blood flow of four. Um, Magic, can you help me out? Make sure it's four. Four, and the FiO2 is 100%, and the sweep is going to be seven liters. There you go. All right, so let's uh, see what's next. The event that's going to take place is we're gonna turn the patient from prone to supine because obviously we do that right on a timing basis. Immediately upon turning prone, the patient's pulse ox is gonna drop. The patient's gonna become unstable. ECMO flow will remain unchanged and we will send some labs. So our investigations are gonna be, well, check the ECMO flow. What's the SAO2 in the ECMO circuit? Is this a hyperdynamic presentation? Um, what's the SVO2 of the ECMO circuit? And then we're gonna notice some red flashing and we're gonna run, we're actually gonna run a recirculation with the transonic ELSIMETER because I want you to see how that works. Additional uh, examinations we're gonna do are X-ray 
and uh, and now we're ready to uh, actually run the scenario. Okay, so we'll stop there, and let's go back to the full monitor, uh, the full pack, if you will, please. So we've flipped the patient, and you know, think about it. Unless you're using a rotoprone bed, and go ahead over to uh, let's turn the patient. So think about this for a second, if you would. Here's our cannula, our dual lumen catheter cannula here. We're just simulating it. Um, but you're gonna take this patient from being prone and we're gonna flip that patient to being supine. And one of the things you wanna look at, looking at zone one, is you always wanna make sure this is staying stable and you want to have something, a picture, that is available to everyone where this cannula is in the body or at the level of the neck. Now that is not 100% and we can talk about that a little bit more, but let's go back and uh, let's check on this patient again and see what's going on. So let's look and see what's gonna happen with this patient. They were going along, so far good. And we have now turned the patient and let's see what's going to happen. There we go. Okay, now we're moving along. So turning the patient, and you can see where flow is four liters. Our return pressure is 56. Access pressure 79. We're at seven liters of sweep with 100% on the FiO2. And we start seeing now a little bit of a change. We're starting to see the saturation drop a little bit. We have turned this patient again. Something has happened. We have made a major change. You can see that the, uh, resp the ventilator, go pop up full on the ventilator if you can. I mean, look at this patient's tidal volumes are 102, uh, peak pressures are 30, 40% uh, on the FiO2. Of course, you know, we can always go up on that. Uh, so go back to the multi. But we can see here, we're starting to get some alarms. Our sats dropped to 86. You see our uh, pressure still doing okay. Our temp is 36.1. Uh, but clearly something has happened. I haven't seen a change here, and I haven't seen a change here, but w you know what could potentially be going wrong here? So one of the things we're gonna wanna do is of course we're gonna send a blood gas, but let's go through the various things that you're going to want to do um, just normally. And I wanna stress this because I think it's very important. Something has happened. So we need to make sure that we look look this over. So let's go over here and let's do that down view of the patient again. Now, what we would normally see, which I'm, it's gonna be very difficult for me to show you this representative, representatively, but I'm gonna do my best to try it because we don't have a, um, uh, uh, it's very difficult to put these cannulas in and have it be the Avalon and so forth. But you know your, your access and return lines would be up here, as you see in this configuration. And you would see a color differential here. And in this particular case, 
what camera we're we looking at. Yeah, that's perfect. You would definitely see blue, red, dark, bright. And then you look at the position. Is it anything obvious? Has it, in fact, you know what? Let me do this. I'll put this back over here for now. And I'll show you with this catheter here because these are the various things that can happen. This is what it would actually look like. And if it was like this on yesterday, but now it's like this, or it's like this, or it's like this, and you've marked, you have a representation, an image of what this, where this was yesterday or before you turned them, because this can get moved very easily. Um, uh, that's why I think the subclavian approach is sometimes liked. We can talk about that during another scenario. But for right now, you would want to look for rotation. So this is what you would want to check. So I'm just going to set this right here for now. And I'm going to put this back where it was. If you let me do, indulge me for just a second to, to sort of re-tidy up my area. I'm going to put this back. So we can do the scenario. And what you notice is, and there's various different tubing holders and things like that that you can use. And I'm going to put that and then take my towel and put this here. This is where we're measuring the uh, positive pressure from or the, the return pressure on that. But yeah, back to this again, you're going to want to check that. So that's what we're going to check. We're going to look at the patient and see if anything else obvious has occurred. But you know what? We don't really see anything. It looks like maybe the cannula moved. And I'm going to tell you, the cannula can move without it moving at the level of the skin at all. I've seen people's bodies change enough internally that uh, the cannula just has ended up in a different spot. Something that you really have to take into consideration. So we sent that blood gas off and we're just now waiting for the results that should be coming across momentarily. And uh, in fact, it has. So we're gonna take a look and see. And sure enough, the labs look as you would expect them to. Uh, your PCO2 is 65, pH is 7.29, PO2 is 58. This patient has been metabolically alkalotic because of chronic hypercarbia. So uh, they still have that compensatory thing going on, but that PO2 of 58 and saturation of 79 is not going to be something we're going to want to live with for a very long time. So the question is, what do we do? What else can we check? Well, we talked about this, uh, the SAO2 and the ECMO circuit. So I can run a circuit gas, but I looked at it. You know, running circuit gases, I think, are great if you're really trying to trend the device. But as a perfusionist or as an ECMO specialist or as a nurse at the bedside, if you can't look at a line and tell whether or not it's arterial, it's red, or it's not, um, or, you know, obviously, 
then uh, then uh, uh, you need to look at at them more frequently. So let's see. We have another. Uh, we decided we were going to uh, look the patient over again, and this is something that we that somebody noticed. They were looking at the patient, and they found this. So take a look at this, and I'm going to loop this. Okay, I want you to look. This is the return. This is the access. And if you watch, you're going to see red flashing. You see it right there pulsing? It's red. This video is also kind of jerky. It should be much smoother than that. But there is red flashing in the line. That is generally in an indication that there is very high recirculation. This should be red. You can definitely see a color difference. The red line, the return, and there's your access pressure or your access line. And if you look at it carefully, you can see that red flashing. You see it right in this area. And just keep an eye. Can you make that big? And just watch and you'll see it. There it is. There it is. Very good. Okay. Excellent. Thank you very much. Okay. The next thing we're going to want to do is we're going to want to run a recirculation. So um, I was going to do it right now, but you think I should do it on the, the next one or do it now? Um, why don't we just go ahead and do it now? So I'm going to teach you guys how to run a recirculation and why it has uh, the value that it has. So let's go over to SimMan and I'm gonna run a recirculation for you. So how this works, what camera we're we gonna use? I don't know, go to camera two. So how this works is you have a box. I'm going to show you a close-up of all of this here in just a second with a different uh, camera angle. But it has two probes attached uh, to associated with it. The first probe is going to go on your arterial line as it exits your oxygenator. Say that again. No. As it leaves the oxygenator. Uh, and it's just before your flow probe. You can doesn't matter which side these are on. This is the flow probe to the pump. This is the flow probe to the ELSA meter. And then it has a flow probe on the venous line. And I usually put it up close to where the uh, access port is. So in a VV ECMO situation, the access line would be up here towards the neck and the uh, return or the red down at the arterial line there, okay? So what you need is a normally saline uh, because it has a different density and we're gonna go to camera six and we're gonna look down at the ELSA meter and the pump combined. That's perfect, that's a great spot. And I can find a patient, but I'm gonna create a new patient. Um. Uh, I did the wrong thing. Z. Uh, 
Mm. No, I don't want to do that. Add patient. There we go. Add a new patient. So last name is going to be man. First name is going to be Sim. Okay. And his medical record number is going to be um, Tom123. Hit OK. And now we're loading. And there he is. And we're going to measure the patient. Now we're VV ECMO. So we're going to click VV ECMO. It's very simple to do. We're, you can choose to measure monitor flows, recirculation test only, or recirculation and oxygenator blood volume. It makes no sense to me to not do both and not just recirculation. If you were VA ECMO, uh, you can only do oxygenated blood volume. You can't, there is no recirculation, but you're going to pick this. Recirculation alone doesn't make any sense. You can also monitor flows. So you can monitor two flows um, if you want. Uh, but right now it's, it's doing, let's just do this. So place the arterial flow sensor on outflow line close to oxygenator. We did that. Place the venous flow sensor close to the patient. We did that. Click OK. Now, it's asking me a question. It wants to know how much volume, and can you focus in on here? To the right slightly. That's perfect. How much volume, so this is the outlet of my centrifugal cone that you see here going down. Here's a port, and here's the inlet of the oxygenator. It wants to know how much volume there is between here and here. So I'm going to put 20 cc's. That's what it is about, 20 cc's. Click OK. And that's going to help with the measuring of the oxygenator blood volume. It needs to know that. It says, when the countdown is finished, to make injection, press ready to measure button, and then inject one milliliter per kilo or greater than five mLs up to 20 mLs of isotonic saline after pump and before or into oxygenator, which is what we're doing. And we have 40 seconds to go. So I'm going to come down here into my cup that has a solution of a little bit of glycerin. So let's go to camera two while it's doing the countdown. There you go. And the cup has just a touch of glycerin, which changes the density of the water, which is what's flowing in the patient, because that's what it's doing. When you use isotonic saline, you're safe to give to the patient, obviously, but it's going to have a different density than is the blood. And what's important about that is that the sensors look for velocity changes and you need a different density in order for it to be able to pick up on that is the reason for that. Okay, so let's see what we're saying here. So it's ready to go. So let's go to, the, to this. There you go. All right, and you're still going to need the other because I have to inject. So we're going to do both, but they were able to see it. You click ready to measure. And now at this point in time, you have a green light here. 
and there is no rush. You don't have to rush through this. So there's not a time. It's only when you inject and it senses it. And that looks good. So let's see how much our recirculation actually is on this patient. The key to the injection is, and I have a dead end port here, is it needs to be rapid. It's, you don't use two hands and plunge, but it needs to be swift. You have to make sure you turn off all recirculation points that you may have. So I've discontinued that and you get yourself prepared. I usually start applying pressure, slowly turn the stopcock and you'll see it go in that fast. That's how you do it. Now you come over here and it will sense it and you will see it go into analyzing. And you can sometimes do multiple injections. Um, you know, uh, let's say three of them just to validate or two if you get two exact numbers, uh, especially when it's a number you don't like or you don't want or whatever the case may be. But it's doing, you can see some waveforms here as it continues to measure and see what's going on. You don't have ELSA monitor. We do Venus gasometry, yes, or the SVO2. We can discuss that. That's very, very true. And I'm going to, in fact, I'm glad you brought that up. And our research, and we're going to use this as our oxygenator blood volume. Yes. And look at that. Our recirculation is 72%. So we're flowing 4.2 liters per minute and our effective ECMO flow is only 1200. And you wonder why the patient isn't doing well. Okay, so let's go back over here. And I want to address that issue of the um, using the uh, SVO2 as a surrogate. That is so very, very true. Oh, am I there? Hello? Oh, can you go to a different camera? Okay. So, yeah, two is fine. I mean, I, that's fine, whatever. So let's address the issue of using the SVO2 as a surrogate. So you could take a sample from here or a sample from the line itself. It doesn't matter. The blood, the blood before the pump is the blood, same blood as after the pump. So if I drew an SVO2 here and had a baseline and it increased significantly, of course, with a 72 recirculation, it's going to increase significantly. Um, that would be a surrogate. Now, it won't get you an absolute number, but it definitely would tell you you have a lot of recirculation going on. But Keep in mind, you can also have a drop-off in consumption. Your, o your metabolic demand, for some reason, has decreased significantly. Um, you're not extracting. Um, there's a whole host of reasons that you can have a bump up in your SVO2. Now, at 70% recirculation, I agree, it's going to be very high, pretty close to arterial. Um, in this particular case, but uh, for the purposes of this, 
uh, let's say it was 50% or 40%, it's going to be very, very, very difficult in order to figure that out. So, yes, it does work if you don't have the ELSA meter from Transonic. I don't make any money from Transonic. They don't pay me to do anything. In fact, it seems like I pay them for anything that I do. They did give me a backpack once, if that counts. I would get this. This device is so has so much utility, and it's so inexpensive. You can take it from patient to patient. I really believe in this device. Um, and so, I mean, it's a, a $20,000, maybe $25,000 device, and it uh, is, you can use it on multiple patients. Um, I think it's much better than using SVO2 as a surrogate, but I agree with you 100%. If you have nothing else, yes, that is a way to do it. And in this particular circumstance, I further agree with you that you would see pretty close to arterialized blood in this line as opposed to venous blood. If it was more subtle than that, you might not actually be able to detect, detect that because there will be fluctuations in SVO2 depending on cardiac output, depending on uh, SAO2, depending on extraction rate, uh, just a whole variety of different things. Temperature can affect your SVO2, so keep that in mind. So let's try to figure out what actually happened. So I'm going to continue this, and I think we have a couple of other investigations that we can do. So let's see. Uh, we looked at the blood gas already. We looked at that. Uh, we did the recirc, which ours was even higher than this uh, at 65%. Um, and we, I think we have some more investigations which are going to be coming through. I'll just speed it up if you don't mind. And we'll take a look and see if we got it yet. Nope, not yet. Oh, I'm clicking the wrong thing. That's the problem. Ha! It would help if I clicked the right thing. Okay, let's go large on the x-ray, please. And um, where's, my, uh, where's my light? Because I think that might work. This might work. So... What you're seeing is, here is the, the uh, catheter coming in, going down, and it should be going this way, but look at where it's going. It's going this way, and the catheter, the Avalon catheter, is actually in the right ventricle. So is, is there a way to brighten? Can you brighten that up at all? You can't? You can't make that brighter? Okay, so um, I don't know if this will show up. You know what I want to do? Let me do this. Give me just a second, and I think I might have the image. No, I don't have it on here, do I? I don't believe I do. No, I'd have to get it out of my phone and all of that. I, I don't know where it is. So unfortunately, I can't pull that up. But it is right here. And it's in the RV, not in the IVC, which should be over here. So now you've got a big problem. The big problem is 
how do you put that back where it belongs? Now, I'll tell you what we did, and then I'll tell you what I would do moving forward. What we did was we took the patient back to the operating room. We came off ECMO. We disconnected it. We put the, pulled it back, put the dilator back in, put a wire in, and got it down into the IVC. We ended up having to change the whole catheter. We tried to do that first, took the whole thing out, just started over again with a new one, and got the patient back on ECMO. And the patient was really, really, really sick, and it was very dramatic. Uh, the patient coded. We did get them back. That patient ultimately, I don't believe, made it long term, but uh, they did survive that event, but their lungs were just not recoverable and they weren't a candidate for anything else. Uh, that COVID was horrible. This is actually the patient. This is the actual x-ray. Um, so what I learned, though, is let's go to our slides and go full screen on the slides. What I learned, and Tammy uh, Sparacino did this on one of her journal clubs, was, and this is a pediatric case, but you could do it in adults as well, and it's repositioning of a bicable dual lumen ECMO cannula using a transfemoral lasso. I thought this was so incredibly, I wish I'd have thought of it. Uh, and it was published in the Journal of Pediatric Surgery uh, Case Reports. And here is the initial uh, cannulation of the patient. And you can see the white arrow is pointing to the level of the IBC. Here you see that same arrow pointing to the IVC, but you see the cannula is over here. So in the tricuspid valves, probably somewhere in this area. So you're definitely in the RV. Here you see them pull it, they pulled the, the catheter back and you can see here's the right atrium here. And you can see that they've brought a snare up grabbed it, they pulled it back into the SVC. Now what they're going to do is pull it back down towards the femoral. It's going to go the right way. And here is the x-ray post re, uh, uh, repositioning. And you can see the white arrow pointing at the level of the diaphragm. And uh, you can see that it's just infradiaphragmatic, which represents what you're looking for. That's the spot that you want the tip to be a centimeter or two below uh, that point of the, uh, the diaphragmatic uh, bell. Okay, uh, transition, access. I'm not sure what I'm doing here. So... Uh, so I think we're gonna, I think we've solved the problem. Let's go back to our patient monitor. We have uh, safely repositioned the ECMO and the catheter. And here we go again. We're settled right back down again. This patient is looking better. Their heart rate is back down. Blood pressure looks good. Saturation looks good. Patient is doing well. Um, you can see our ECMO flow. Everything is unchanged. The lungs are still not doing great. Uh, you can see the tidal volume there of 104. Um, certainly not good with a peak pressure of 30. So, you know, these patients that we did with COVID were very, very, very sick. They were very difficult to deal with. Um, and uh, in this particular case, again, that patient with the x-ray 
Uh, I mean, we, we, you know, I, I, we have our data. I'm still waiting for our data to be uh, uh, all tabulated, uh, but it's discouraging uh, at best for our COVID ECMO population. Uh, we had some saves and they were wonderful, but our best saves have been PEs. We just recently had a patient, I have to tell you this case, uh, young lady, she was in her uh, early 30s, late 30s, now nah, maybe late 30s. She had traveled uh, abroad, I believe to Australia, had come back home. Um, she was, uh, her mom picked her up, got her home, kind of got her settled in, and her mom was going to leave and go home. And she said, no, can you just stay with me tonight? And so the mom said, sure, I'll stay here tonight. The next morning, uh, the mom got up and made breakfast, and they ate, and the daughter, um, she said, uh, here, I'll clean up. So she stood up to get the dishes and uh, took a couple of steps, grabbed her chest, and collapsed straight to the floor, and she was no pulse. Mom started CPR, called 911. Mom was not in medicine. Um, the uh, EMS responded. They did get a pulse back. Uh, they got her to the hospital. They took her to the cath lab and they made every effort to try and clear the, um, the obstructions. She had a PE uh, to get the clot out of the, the PA. Uh, they were able, I, they felt to get her stable enough to just take her to the unit, took her to the unit. She lasted about two hours had continued problems, was very metabolically acidotic, um, right heart was really straining and dilating, um, and she was decompensating on sub, uh, significant numbers of uh, amounts of pressors. Decision was made to put her on VA ECMO, put her on VA ECMO. Four days later, we were able to decannulate her, and she did great and uh, was able to go home. And those are the rewarding times, the rewarding cases. The COVID cases, we have dealt with those uh, for months uh, and have had them uh, a few, I would say 15% that have gone on, maybe 10% to a normal life, 15% to some life, um, and maybe 10%, I'm not sure. Again, I'm, I'm guessing at these numbers, but they're probably not that far off. Um, but that leaves a whole lot that didn't do well, uh, short of a transplant. So it's a very difficult time for us and hopefully we won't ever see that again. I don't know that I have it in me to do it again, but these, this was a real case. We actually did this, um, and as much of it was uh, real as possible. Please give me your feedback on this, and then we're gonna move forward. Uh, of course, I'm gonna take a short five-minute break. I'm gonna look at the clock, make sure, because David said he's gonna put a timer up because apparently I don't keep track of time very well. Uh, but we're going to get the next scenario set up, set up, and uh, come back in five minutes, and we're going to get through that one, the third one, and then we're going to be taking a break for lunch, okay? Five minutes. And welcome back, everyone, for our uh, final morning episodes, uh, scenarios, simulation, whatever uh, we may want to call it. Um, is there any, there's no way to move those, that slide just a little to the left, is it? There's not much I can do about that, is there? I should have thought about that when I did it. Yeah, that's all right. That's okay. That's all right. It's it's it's. Oh yeah, that's good. I can move too. That'll that'll work. That's perfect, dude. You're so good. How do you do that? 
Okay, so this next scenario is going to be basically air in the Venus line, but I'm going to make it a little bit more interesting than just that. Uh, I'm going to try and go over an ECMO circuit and what actually happens with it. So in this particular case, what you see is our drainage. Our patient would be up here, right? Our drainage is coming down, going into a pump, through a flow probe, which probably wouldn't be put there, um, through an oxygenator, back out now is arterialized blood, and back up and into the patient. And I'm going to show you over there with the ECMO circuit. Everything on this side, actually, let me just draw, everything Hmm. I don't think the pen's working. Okay. Hmm. I mean, I had charged it, yeah. Everything that is on this side of the pump, this side, the patient side of the pump, is a negative pressure, negative 70 to negative 150, depending on how much flow, size of the cannula, all of that kind of stuff, size of the tubing, the, uh, how much of the cannula might be stuck on tissue. It's hard to say, but there's a whole variety of whether the tubing's kinked or not. Anything, however, on this side, the patient side of this centrifugal uh, or blood pump of any sort, could be peristaltic for that matter, is negative. Anything on this side of the pump is going to be positive. Before the membrane is always going to be a little bit higher. That's your pre-oxygenator pressure, but it's positive. And then anything on this side of the oxygenator is also going to be positive, but generally a little lower. The difference between this pressure and this pressure is your delta P. So this going back up, arterialized blood, back into the patient. Now, why do I mention this? This is very important to understand. Um, and I need to find a slide. And I think it's way down here. It is right there. This slide is extremely important. Can you blow that up a little bit? Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, something's not working. Oh, it's up here. Like that? Okay. Thank you. This slide is very important, and this comes out of uh, the ELSO book. And they're talking about who should monitor the ECMO. If you look over here, you have a category, the categories, perfusionist, ECMO specialist, bedside nurse, and then cost of the circuit. This is manufacturer's list price, and it's a little dated on top of that. The Centromag 
The perfusionist can watch it. The ECMO specialist can watch it. The bedside nurse can watch it. It's a $14,000 a piece uh, device. And the Centromag doesn't have an oxygenator. That's just the cone and the circuitry that goes with it. The Rotaflow, on the other hand, which would be very similar to what we're using over there, only a perfusionist costs $24.47. The Rotaflow ICU package, perfusionist or ECMO specialist, $24.47. And the cardio help can be perfusionist, ECMO specialist, bedside nurse, and the cost $13,781 per set. Now, I will talk about the cardio help just briefly. The cardio help is a great device. It's a good device. Good, easy for transport. Very easily. It's very mobile. It's very small. It has a lot of advantages, but it has disadvantages, too. Now, but the question is, and I'll need to stay on, on track here, why? Why is the Rotaflow only perfusionist? Why is Centromag uh, all three? Why is the Rotaflow ICU package not include the bedside nurse? And why does the cardio help allow for all three? And we're going to talk about that here. But I wanted to show you that slide. Let me see. How do I, do you know how I, um, nope, I didn't want to do that. I'm going to, uh, can you take my slides away, please? Um, I don't, it doesn't matter to me what you do, just anything. Just take the slides away. Thank you. Um, I don't know why it does that. I can't ever figure this out, Magic. Oh, there. I figured it out. It took me just a second. Okay. And let's see. Uh, yeah, there I am. Okay, good. You can go back to my slides. Most excellent, thank you. So what's the reason for it? Oh, dude, this is killing me. Okay, what's the reason for it? The reason has to do with access ports. If you have any access ports, and it's one thing to have an access port here, it's, see, so you have a pre-membrane blood gas analyzer. You have an arterial access here. Okay, now this is the, the quadrox. So you can have one over here. I'm going to show you our circuits. You could have one here as well. In fact, let me use this. It's easier. You could have an access port here for drawing labs, depending on the type of oxygenator that you use, if it's cardio help or not, or the quadrox or not. Um, you could have an access here. You can have access here. So there's all kinds of places that you can put access lines for a variety of reasons. But if you put access lines anywhere, you are increasing the complexity because this whole simulation is about getting air in the system. And you can get air in the system 
not only by the patient or something else inadvertently decannulating the patient, which is rather dramatic, that will definitely get a lot of air, but it can happen through just very simple human error of the ECMO specialist. And so the more complexity you add to the circuit, going back to that slide we looked at, the less, the more attention you need to pay to it. So if you have any access ports, positive or negative, the nurse at the bedside should not be managing the patient and the ECMO circuit. Whereas if you have a bunch of uh, access everywhere, then a perfusionist is what ELSO recommends should be doing it. If you have some, maybe only on the positive side, then the ECMO specialist. Now, do I agree with that? No, I don't agree with it at all. I don't, but I understand the reason why, and it has to do with increased complexity. You have to be very respectful of it. The problem is that when you take away all of the available access, so there's no access, the only thing you have is connected here to the patient and there to the patient, and you have your connection point, connection point to the, from in the pump, out the pump, and these can be solvent bonded, in the oxygenator, out of the oxygenator, and back up, or tie banded, whatever the case may be. But you have nothing else connected to it. You have a circuit that you can't really mess up. You can kink it, you can yank it, yank the cannula out, but you can't turn the stopcock the wrong way. The disadvantage is you can't add anything to it. You can't really do a circuit gas unless you, you know, have something uh, port on the oxygenator itself, which is built in and designed that way. Because if you change the modification, if you modify the circuit of any of those other circuits, cardio help or anything else, the manufacturer's warranty is voided. Anything that happens becomes your fault, not their fault, even if you weren't at fault for it failing because you have modified the circuit. It's a legal thing, but it's something you have to be aware of and very careful of. But if you wanted to add CRRT to the patient, if you, can, if you have no access available, you can't add it to the patient. So you see here an access port pre-oxygenator for, for the CRRT. So you have the blood going this way through the hemoconcentrator down and going back into the circuit. So this is actually your access. This is actually your return. It's an access port. In other words, you can access it as opposed to the actual access for the CRRT. That would be here, and this would be the return. Okay, and it shows you that in the arrows. But you can do pre-filter replacement, dialysate. You can do ultrafiltration. You can do a variety of things without having to stick another catheter in the patient. Sometimes you don't have any place else to put the catheter. It makes more sense to put it right into the, uh, into the ECMO. So that's the reason you want to have access. And uh, I'm going to go over there. And we're going to show you on the ECMO what it is I'm talking about with the system.
Very good. Okay. So here we have our patient. Here we have our ECMO. We're going to go to camera six. And you see our return here. Here's our access here in the leg. Okay. Now we're going to need to see um, the ECMO flow and the um, ECMO uh, pressures uh, at the same time. Rotor flow easily to air come to the circuit than others. I didn't know that. David, did you hear what I said? I want to see the ECMO pressures and flow and this at the same time. So I need the screen split. Okay. Okay. Well, you didn't. I, so, yes. So I didn't know that about the. Uh, so go to camera one, if you don't mind, and I'll can talk. There you go. Thank you. Um, yes, Timothy, I don't have any uh, experience using the Rotaflow. I mean, I've used it before, but really not a lot of experience. Um, but yes, it does have a pre-pump port. And, you know, we, in our system, I have a pre-pump port. And there's a reason that I have it, and which I can articulate as when we get this to where I can demonstrate that to you. But... Um, it's something that is a, uh, a subject of significant debate. You have shortage of perfusionists, although they are, they've, they've opened 12 new schools, for those of you who, don't, who may not know that. Um, they are generating a lot of graduates, and I believe that the number of perfusionists within 12 to 18 months, more than likely, is going to, for the first time in probably a decade, exceed the number of jobs that are available. And that is both good and bad. It depends on how you want to look at it. It's good in the sense that I think the really good clinicians will be the ones who keep, stay employed, keep working. Those that are really dedicated to this profession understand that we have a tremendous responsibility. We make an incredibly good wage um, and uh, we have a very reasonable quality of life for the amount of money that we make uh, because nobody makes the kind of money we do and only works 40 hours a week. But there are a lot of perfusionists who make uh, this kind of money and only have to work 30 hours a week or 25 hours a week. And if they have to work 30 or 35 hours, they complain quite a bit. Um, I find that troubling. Um, I actually am, am not, I have been discouraged, I would say, even though I love my profession and I want this profession to endure, my, my feeling is, is that we have not done a great job over the past several years at introducing people into this profession that really understand how significant uh, it is to be professional and to be dedicated uh, and, uh, and very um, uh, uh, devoted to this profession. We're good? Um, so mm, that is. Mm -hmm. Only we could, uh, I don't know if it's possible, but you could make the, the 
left side a little smaller and the right, the other side a little I don't the other side a little bigger. I need to see the pump itself. Like a wide view of the pump. But anyway, that's with that said, um I think that uh there are those that are like that and 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 I love those people. I really do. But I've also seen people come and go they just don't want to do the job they don't want to they don't want the stress they don't want the work they don't they feel that their work-life balance is horrible um and sometimes mine is i mean during COVID, i i don't think that i had a i didn't sleep it was i was sleeping in my car and parking lot because i i i couldn't drive home i was too tired um so it was challenging there's no question about it and this is a tough business but again we make a really good living uh and uh it's it's very important you know and then on the other hand you know i'm encouraged so i get discouraged but then i'm also encouraged i've seen some really good people and uh, i've worked with some incredible people and really enjoyed it very very much so i think it's mixed i think the increase in the number of people is going to uh, stabilize our uh, our economy but it can also hurt us in the long run big organizations big contract companies are going to hire people and it's going to give them leverage and power and to that end it isn't good for our profession so you know i've seen this cycle happen multiple times over the years and uh i don't know that i have another 10 years in me cycles usually go about 10 years i'm not sure i have another 10 years but uh, we'll see. And maybe some of you younger folks out there will kind of take on a project and help this profession to endure, uh, be part of the solutions and not just part of the problems. Find problems, but always look for solutions as well. So that's my, those are my comments, okay? And I know Ann is gonna be here later on this afternoon, Ann Gretcho, she's gonna get in around three and we're gonna have a, we call it a fireside sit chat, but it's really gonna be a dumpster fire chat. But we'll talk about that when we get to that. So let's get back to what we're doing. No, I, I, I wanna see the ECMO circuit. So I wanna see, so take the, take the, uh, the take that monitor and the, 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 the monitor the pressures and move it all the way to the right and up. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that, and go way up. There, that's perfect. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's exactly what I was looking for. Say again? Yeah, that's good. You don't have to make it perfect. That's perfect, that's perfect the way it is. Okay, so we have our access line coming from the patient. It's coming down, and we have it tethered to the thing, and here it is here and it's coming into the pump. And as I told you, anything on this side from here back to the patient is a negative pressure. And I could do this with the, um, with the uh, ECMO simulator, but I'm just gonna do it with my fingers for the sake of this dis uh, discussion. If you look, you see the flow is 4.13, upper right-hand corner, and the access pressure is 74, negative 74. If I compress this line, you see the flow go down, the access pressure goes up, and the return pressure goes down. But it's very important to recognize anything at any time from here 
forward to the patient is going to be negative. Anything from the pump, anything from the pump out from this point all the way to the point of the patient is going to be positive. This is positive, this is positive, this is positive. The difference between the pressure here, just outside the oxygenator, and here is your delta P. This pressure will generally be a little bit higher than here because this pressure is only measuring the resistance at the cannula. This is measuring the resistance not only at the cannula but also through the membrane. If the, the oxygenator had zero resistance, then these two pressures would in fact be equal. Now, getting back to what we were talking about, this is a positive pressure. This line right here, we talked about that. We have the flow probe on it, it's post-oxygenator, it's post-pump, this is positive. Now, can you focus in, David, on this stopcock? And this happened to me just the other night. I wasn't the one that did it. But it doesn't matter whether you do it here or whether you do it here. It's going to have the same effect. If you want to run a blood gas, this is coming out of the top of the oxygenator and it's post-membrane. This is going to have the same exact blood gases as this would have. But if you by accident turn this stopcock and we're looking at it yep this is what happens you saw that and if you have more realistic pressure it does like that and if it's blood and you accidentally that stopcock gets turned broken is leaking and it's down here and you're standing go to camera four looking forward and you're monitoring your ECMO and the nurse has gone to the restroom from there and and zoom in a little bit just zoom in doesn't matter where just zoom in and you're looking from there and normally you would have your pressure and everything up here it wouldn't be in this configuration it's like this because we're doing this virtually you can't even see where the blood is leaking that thing could be leaking and you could have a you can have a lake of blood down on the floor you're going to start seeing the patient begin to decompensate you can go back to the other camera or zoom back out or whatever yeah there you go you could go you could have a um which camera am i looking at So that's camera four. Yeah, that's perfect. So, and then we'll go back to camera six here in a minute. So you could have a lake full of blood down here and until the patient becomes hemodynamically unstable and you come in, you may not know it. So let's go back to camera four and zoom out. That's good. Okay, so now we're gonna look at it from a different perspective. If you decide you wanna draw a venous gas, you could draw it from here, but let's say you didn't have something here. 
or let's say you put a stopcock, which is the biggest mistake you can make, directly on the connector and somebody comes by and hits it and knocks it off. Could be a family member. You just don't really know. But this is what generally is going to happen. And I can turn this from any place. So do we have good sound? Can you hear pretty well? Yep. My microphone's on loud because I want them to hear this. Yes, turn it up. Mm -hmm. So, and you can see this. Can you zoom in on this? And this line right here and the cone. And there's an air bubble detector right here. And we want the split screen. We want to see the other thing as well. That's good. And then put the mo patient monitor top right corner. That's it. Beautiful. That's perfect. Okay. And you see these right here? Green, no bubbles. And you know the perfusion mantra? No bubbles, no troubles. But what's the little error among friends? Just remember that. If I turn this stopcock, it's going to come here. This is a negative pressure. If I turn it the wrong way, and this is how fast it happens, we're flowing four liters. You ready? I want them to see it. See that? That wasn't very long. And your system right now is full of air. It's actually pumping some of the air because of the configuration. It should be set like this to minimize that, right? But that is not a good sound. Can you hear it? And you hear the alarm going off. And you're going to have to get that air out. Obviously, that small amount of air for VB ECMO you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're shunting the oxygenator back into the venous side, it's just going to go round and round and round. But eventually it may clear. But you do have a problem on your hands. You can use a syringe. You can do all kinds of things. But what it requires you to do is to take the pump off, turn your RPMs off. You're going to have to rotate this get the air out, and some of the air's already been expelled, but you see that air. Of course, it'll be foam because it's blood. Put this back on, start it back up again, and you will see, you couldn't see it, but that air is going to make its way eventually out. Um, so what I would do in that circumstance if the patient is stable enough and it's going to be somewhat hectic and chaotic is you would take a 50 cc syringe but you would have to have it available to you you would have taken a clamp in fact why don't we just do it i'll show you how it gets done this time i'm going to set this down here so we're going to go through the whole process because you can't really shunt it back so i'm going to do that all over again oh that's positive I have to do negative pressure. Okay, here we go. Okay. There's air. Well, I'll, I'll turn the alarm off, but I actually like leaving the alarm on. We're going to turn this off. 
we're going to clamp here. We've got our syringe here. We're going to turn the stopcock this way in just a second. But for right now, I'm going to just 45 it. I'm going to take this off. We're going to fill this, get the air out as best we can. If it's VV, I would not try to be perfect with it. It, do the best you can to get the most you can. Then you're going to turn on the RPMs with that line clamped, open this, and start letting the air come out. And a 50cc syringe would be better. If you only have this, you're going to probably take it. You're probably going to have to waste it. And then you're going to have to go, so I'm just going to pump it back into the circuit versus squirting it on the floor. And continue until you have expelled most of the air. And I can see it all collecting up at the top. And I believe we got most of it. May have to go up a little higher on the RPMs to get it to come out. There it goes. I saw it all. Turn this off. Take your clamp off, and you're good to go. So you have expelled the air from the circuit. Now, I'm doing it, and I'm prepared. So let's go to camera four, two. Camera four or two. I don't care which. Do something. Okay. So I'm doing this. And I'm prepared. Could you imagine if you were sitting, reviewing the chart, doing whatever, doing something else, and you heard that? It's devastating. And if your patient was VA ECMO, much more complicated to get this out. If your patient was completely ECMO-dependent, VV ECMO, much more stressful because they're gonna potentially code it's it's worse it's harder to do this than it is to change the entire circuit out if you have another circuit if you're doing it in a prepared manner um, obviously any acute problem that occurs that's an emergency is so incredibly difficult to fix when it happens and, but we can't be prepared for every catastrophic event. What we can do is we can respect the fact that these things are here, make sure they're on and secure, be protective of your ECMO circuit and area around the ECMO, and don't let people around it that don't understand it or cannot fix it. Because if this happened while you were in the restroom, which is normal for whatever reason it, it, it the patient is it's done it's done and it'll end up being on you so there's the reason why elso suggests that a circuit with no ability to do that is the appropriate circuit for the nurse that is at the bedside that's busy managing the patient, because there's a lot going on. You got drips, and you got uh, labs, and you've got 
uh, Foley's and you've got respiratory and you've got um, uh, orders, all the things that nurses have to do, which is an enormous amount, and you're adding this level of complexity to it, well, in a patient with a very safe circuit that this can happen to, on cruise control that's been on VV ECMO for three or four days and is going to be on for probably another two months, eh, probably okay. But even in those circumstances, things can happen. Having a really good nurse ECMO specialist, respiratory ECMO specialist, whatever, who can manage a situation like this in a crisis, know what they can get away with and be able to deal with it, I totally agree. But you really need in the case where you have the ability for this to happen, someone who is trained to manage this. The nurse at the bedside, not that they cannot do it, and I wanna stress this, because I have so much respect for them and how hard they work and what, what they do, um, it just isn't fair because they have too many other things to do versus only focusing on this. And uh, I think that's, that's, the, that's the differentiator in my opinion. Okay, so I showed you air in the system. I showed you how it spits. I talked about the negative pressure, the positive pressure. Any comments from the, uh, from the gallery? No comments? Okay, well, I hope everybody enjoyed that, that simulation. It was fun. Oh, yeah, and then when we come back, um, what time is it? Yeah, it's right about lunchtime. It's good. So we're going to take a break. We're going to come back at what time? Three o'clock. Perfect. Okay, we'll see y'all back at three o'clock. Let's have an early lunch and a little bit longer for lunch if that's okay with everyone. And we're going to do inflow obstruction hypovolemia. That's a fun one. And then we were going to do ECMO Simpson scenario recirculation, but I'm not doing that. I'm actually going to do a different one. It's going to be just a surprise. We got to figure it out. I'm, of course, I'll know what it is but because I'm the smart one, right? Um, total decompensation of the patient for some unknown reason, and we're gonna try to figure out what it is together, and then uh, fireside chat. It's actually gonna be Ann Grecho, not Min Tran. He's going on vacation to Cancun, and Mike Brown is also on vacation somewhere. So I scheduled this stuff, apparently not well around their schedules, but Ann Grecho, uh, our American Board of Cardiovascular Perfusion president is going to be joining us here in the studio for our discussion period after, uh, which is going to be about ECMO. Where is it all going from here? Okay, thanks. Hey, and welcome back, everyone. Good afternoon to the second half of PerfWeb 82. Uh, we're going to do two scenarios now. Uh, the uh, first one is going to be a little bit basic, but interesting because common. Um, so I wanted to go over that. Um, and then the second one is going to be a lot more complex, but I'm not gonna share with anyone what it is. I'm just gonna run through the scenario because usually what I do is show what it is, kind of talk a little bit about it. I think that that, and then go through it. I think that's very instructive, but really at the end of the day, we generally don't have that as an option or an opportunity for us. We just get confronted with the situation and then we have to go through the various algorithms to figure it out. Everything good? Hold on. Because I'm standing here talking and I'm not sure they even hear me. 
Is it working? Okay, hold on. Oh, we're good. Okay, so everyone did hear me, I'm assuming. Okay, Matt. Uh-huh, signal's going out. Okay. Yeah. Okay, good. All right, fantastic. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and do that. Huh? Oh, I had done it. Um, so I need to... I'll click to begin broadcasting. I did turn it on, but it just it turns itself off. So uh, how's that? It says it's broadcasting. Yes, the, the, that ventilator. No, that every time I take turn away from it, it stops. Three, two, one. Okay. It says it's broadcasting. It's blinking red. Okay. All right. There we go. Nothing like a little confusion to get everything going between... 12 and 3. This is kind of an interesting way that we did it. We did this morning, of course, and then we took a, a three-hour break, and uh, we went and had lunch, and I fell asleep between lunch and now, which then put me in a, like a fog, and I was like, oh my God, we got to go. We got seven minutes to go. Uh, David made the comment to me that it was an eternity. Seven minutes, that's plenty of time, which is true. Okay, so continuing to move forward, we have our ECMO patient here. We're going to go ahead and do this scenario. I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, this is a very common occurrence that we see frequently, and I'm going to highlight some of the things that the, uh, the uh, uh, eigenflow uh, ECMO simulator can do. So I'm going to take this and I'm going to come over to there. And let's see. I'm going to go ahead and get the uh, simulation going. There we go. And this is, uh, this is just like I said, it's very common, very common occurrence. There you go. Good. All right. So let's go to camera six and you can just bring it up here because I'm going to work in, in this area mostly. Okay, there you go. And we want to go ahead and get our flow up. Okay. Okay. So if you notice on the, oh, go to the, you can go to the multi-pack. You're starting to get some alarms. And you're starting to notice that you know, you'll start hearing the patient monitor may go off first. You hear the ECMO going off. And what you're seeing is the flow rate is fluctuating back and forth, back and forth. And if you're not looking at the control, well, that's why it's so important. And one of the things that I think I like to stress 
is you have to have a visual. But you see, the patient sets are coming down. You're going to start noticing that. But it's not to where you're having the patient completely crash right away. This patient, of course, is on the ventilator. They're somewhat ventilator dependent. But the ECMO is still working, but it's very uh, back and forth, hit and miss. And you notice down here that your return pressure keeps jumping up and your access pressure is there. Now this can go a different way, which is actually what my intention was. So I need to redo this. It may take it a second to catch itself back up and see if it will do it. Cause I kind of started this scenario out uh, being a little different than I wanted it to. So let me, uh, let me try this. Let me reset this. Mm-hmm. There we go. Let's try that again. Only this time, I'm gonna do it this way. And what you're gonna start noticing here in just a second, at least I believe, <laughs> you gotta love technology. And let's give it a second, see if it'll catch itself up. Patient may be recovering a little bit which is good. And I can't quite get it to work, Magic. I'm really struggling here. It says it's doing it, but I don't really see it doing it. Oh, it's not, oh, okay. Well, that's a problem. Okay. Let's try it now. Okay, so this has to connect via Bluetooth, and it was saying that it was operating, but it wasn't connected, and Magic was able to see that uh, because there is a light that will indicate that. And let's see if we can get this to do what I want it to do. Oh, you gotta love technology. <sighs> I'm struggling magic really bad. Oh, I think I see the problem. Okay. Mhm. Mm yes, I see the I see the problem. It's because this is turned this needs to be turned that way. Okay. So now that we got that corrected, I think maybe it'll work better. There you go. Okay, so it was operator error on Joe's part, and uh, but what you see are the fluctuating flows. It's just kind of enough to keep the patient from completely crashing, but if you look here, you notice that the access pressure keeps fluctuating very dramatically, almost to negative 200, and then it starts to release a little bit, and that's correlating with these flows. So what's happening here is 
the cannula, the patient is, the problem is, of course, hypovolemia. What is the appropriate thing for us to do? So we want to give the patient a bolus of volume. And uh, usually 250 albumin is very helpful in this circumstance. You can maybe go up to 500. I think we should measure the albumin. It really does help quite a bit when we do that. The question is, where do we want to administer it? Do we want to administer the uh, volume into the patient, which will take a little bit longer, or do we want to administer it into the ECMO circuit? And I do want to show you this if I can. So we're going to give the patient 250 of albumin, and not long after we do that, and it doesn't take very long at all, it's going in, and the, 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 like I said, the, the, the real question is, where we give it really matters. So it's going in and you'll start seeing these pressures start to, the flow will start to be more consistent. The uh, froze, um, you can give it here into this section, but if you do give it here, remember this is the negative pressure side. Remember what we talked about. If you put it on an albumin bottle and you're venting it, and you turn around and you're not paying attention and that albumin runs out, it's just gonna fill this full of air. So it's treacherous to do that. You have to be extremely careful. It's very dangerous to do, as a matter of fact, unless you are trained, you have to do it that way for some reason, and you are really, really paying attention. It is something you have to truly pay attention to. So. Keep that in mind. Okay, so I think that scenario was a bust, and uh, we're going to go right into the next scenario, which I think is going to be a lot more fun. And uh, just to get off of this camera, David, it's something else. I don't care. Yeah, I just need to get uh, this, this cleared out and be ready to go. Okay. All right, there we go. Okay. So all I can do at this point in time is welcome everyone back. And uh, we're, we had a great afternoon, and we're going to start our final scenario of the day. Uh, the, uh, if you want me to redo the hypovolemia one at some day, I will. But at this point in time, I'm feeling like hypovolemia is a very bad scenario for me to do. It doesn't seem to work out too terribly well, so we're going to move on. So, um, let me find the one. Yes, this is perfect. Okay. So let's make this a little bit better. And uh, I want to go um, something's not right there. Okay. There you go. Now we're there. Okay, let that settle itself out a little bit. And uh, we'll get our ventilator simulator going here. 
Yeah, that's good. That's perfect. Perfect, okay. All right. Let's go ahead and start this scenario. All right, I'm not going to tell you what this scenario is. We're simply going to just go through it. The patient is cannulated, femoral venous for access, femoral arterial. Um, this patient has been here. I'm not, don't know slides, but this patient is a 44 year old female. She has been on ECMO now for the past 36 days. Uh, her lung compliance has not improved much at all. And we're basically just operating on a, we're keeping the patient alive, trying to figure out what we're gonna do. Is this patient a lung transplant candidate? Uh, to be a lung transplant candidate, you have to meet certain criteria. You have to uh, have the financial means for lung transplant, uh, whether that be through insurance or otherwise. Um, you have to meet a certain age requirement you have to be able to demonstrate that you can participate in your care afterwards. So many of our ECMO patients, what we do is we put them on ECMO, we wake them up, we trach them, uh, and we walk them up and down the hallway. Uh, some hospitals require you to demonstrate that a person can participate in their post-operative care after transplant, other centers want to see the patient be able to walk at least 100 feet. And so uh, you cannot have other significant comorbidities that would be a problem, whether it be renal dysfunction, hepatic uh, complications. You can't, uh, generally speaking, if you're a diabetic, um, I don't know that that's absolutely a, uh, an exclusionary criteria, but it certainly doesn't help. Um, you can't have any neurologic problems. You have to be really almost perfect otherwise, and I'm talking lung transplant here, um, but uh, almost perfect other than your lungs are not working but you have to, so it's very important for us on these patients who have really just bad lungs, just not reversible lung disease, uh, that we have to uh, get them awake. So we can't keep them on neuromuscular blockades. Uh, we have to get the, them extubated. We were doing awake ECMO, as a matter of fact, uh, thinking that if we don't intubate them at all, that's going to help them quite a bit. Uh, but that was difficult. And many of the patients that we did that with, we later still had to intubate uh, uh, in order to uh, get everything calmed down. It was a difficult time, but you're definitely gonna be better off. Now, in this particular scenario, you notice we're just watching the ECMO. And like I said, ECMO is a very, I mean, this patient's been on ECMO for, for, for 46 days or uh, whatever it was I had said. They've been on ECMO for a long time. We see them day after day after day. And you notice the patient's blood pressure isn't looking very good. And this generally is how it happens. You just look up and you go, what's going on? Patient's blood pressure is down. Patient's saturations are down. Patient's heart rate is going up. 
your flow seems fine so far. I don't see any real issues with the flow yet, but things are starting to look problematic and you don't understand. You're sitting there trying to figure out what really is going on. And then over the course of time, you start to notice that your ECMO flows might start to also come down, which in this case they did. And this is a case that I actually did. I was dealing with this case and trying to understand, figure out what exactly was happening. And it was very interesting because what I actually found um, was by luck. And uh, I, I, I just was sitting there looking at the ventilator at the time. And I can't simulate it with the simulator that we have. It doesn't give me that option. At least I have yet to find that option. But obviously we're having a problem. And, and what started it all off for me was I turned, I said, you, you know, we got to do something. So the first thing, let's get 100% oxygen. It was to no avail, but we still did it. And it's the appropriate thing to do. If you weren't 100% on the ECMO, which we are, um, you would want to turn that up immediately. We're looking at the patient. We went and we did, let's put the patient up large if we can. We went and, can we put the patient up large? Yeah, there, uh, well, there. Not quite there. Huh. I, I can't. The, the patient's kind of obstructing everything. See the monitor, what I'm looking at? Yeah, I can't really move on. There you go. Okay, so we're looking at the patient. We're, we're checking the lines. We're checking the cannulas. Everything is looking fine. We can't quite figure out what is happening with this patient. And as I said, I kind of noticed it when I was looking at the, uh, uh, when I was looking at the, the ventilator and something caught my attention and that was the VTE and the VTI. And I noticed that that's the title of the, the inspiratory VTI is the inspiratory tidal volume. The E is the expiratory tidal volume. And you see this patient's tidal volume is 73 C's, 73 CC's, and that's VTI. The VTE was 20 CC's lower than that. And we're breathing on this patient 15 times a minute. So if you take 15 times 20, that's 300 cc's every minute. And that 300 cc's was going somewhere. So was it the sensor? Well, what was going on? Well, I'm looking at a very hemodynamically unstable patient. So I said, well, okay, I think we need a stat chest x-ray because things are not looking good here. So we did a stat chest x-ray. And this is what we found. And this is a real patient. Can we bring that up large? Yeah, perfect. So take a look at this. Nice big tension pneumothorax with the lung, the left lung, pushing everything over into the right chest. And this was the cause of the hemodynamic instability. 
and why our volumes for the ECMO, I was having problems because our access pressure was going up because blood wasn't making itself its way back. Uh, it was being obstructed. So I want to do something here, and I hope you can make the patient big now, if we can. Yeah, beautiful. And let's go to camera six and just go to the primary view. Okay, there you go. You're on camera six, perfect. So the appropriate treatment for this is a chest tube. And so we're gonna put a chest tube in the patient. And as soon as we put the chest tube in the patient, and uh, so see, I wish we had that Mevo camera facing this way, because uh, it would be better to see it. But that's okay. Oh, that's okay, we don't have to worry about it. Okay, so we're gonna put the chest tube in and it's here, and as soon as we put the chest tube in, and I'm gonna go back to that x-ray investigation. So can we put the x-ray back up, David? There you go, and just make the x-ray big. So no sooner that we put the x-ray in, we started to look a little bit better, but immediately we got worse again. And I was like, well, what the hell is going on? And I noticed the exact same phenomenon. And there's the x-ray immediately after putting the chest tube in the left side, she blew out her right side and had the exact same problem going on. So what did we do? We called them back. And the intensivist came back, and it actually was the nurse practitioner. She did a fantastic job. I remember that day. And and we put a second chest tube in to the left chest. And can you see that? Two chest tubes? There you go, that's perfect. And then let's go back to the monitor. And no sooner that we did that, everything started to get better. And the patient over time, you see our sats have come up, our heart rate's going down, our pressures look better, our flow is better. Everything is looking better. So this whole situation occurred because of that issue of the lungs essentially developing a big hole. They, they essentially just exploded. I don't know how else to explain it. And I've actually seen these lungs where we've opened the patient up with thoracotomies and we could actually see, these were with lung volumes, very low pressures of, but the pressures were much higher than 20. They were more 30, 40 
and uh, I've seen the lungs so stiff, you could see the holes, they clip it, and then another hole, another hole would develop. So that's what happened. We ended up with a right-sided pneumothorax, and then a, which became a tension pneumothorax. Then as soon as putting a chest tube in a left-sided pneumothorax, and uh, it was all picked up because the VTE did not equal the VTI. And that makes so much common sense to me, but it, I, I really noticed it by happenstance. But anyway, now everything is running very well. So happy about that. All right. So I think we have about an hour to go, right, before we get Ann here? Three to four. Yeah, she's going to be here at five, right? About, yeah, the last hour. Yeah, so why don't we go to quick break and we will um, run back and start that hypovolemia scenario over again. So I'm just going to reset it back up. Would that be okay? All right. Okay, hey, and welcome <laughs> welcome back, everyone. Uh, we, we just had some fun. Okay, so I wanted to go over some things and just talk. I needed to sit down uh, doing an entire day of these simulations by yourself is uh, at the very least challenging, especially when you get to my advanced age. But, uh, you know, we're, we're also still learning, so I do appreciate your patience. Uh, I'm sorry, growing pains? Yeah, it's called, it's called growing pains. And, man, I'll tell you what, when you do stuff live, it can be really hard. Uh, anyway, Perfuse Find, uh, my good friends from Spain, arterial cannula thrombus, so, no, that wasn't the issue. I think you figured out what the issue was. It was hypovolemia, um, and uh, that was the issue. Or unless you're talking about the uh, – was that during the uh, patient with the – it depends on whether you're talking about with the pneumothoraxes or you're talking about the volume. But, yes, you, the, the, vol, the hypovolemia was the other one. So I'm not sure exactly when this came in. I didn't see it. Magic said he, she, he popped it up, but I didn't notice it. Um, for a whole variety of reasons, but I wanted to talk about ECMO and just take a few minutes. And then what I'm going to do after that is we're going to do a, uh, another simulation uh, with our ELSA meter, and we're also going to do uh, some things with our app that uh, I'd like to highlight for you guys because I think they're really valuable and worthwhile. Uh, but, you know, ECMO is by and large, a, uh, a game of hours and hours and hours of boredom followed by um, some things to do to help the nurses, uh, followed by noticing something and investigating it, but finding out that it's nothing. Um, it could be I need to administer a unit of pack cells. Uh, which we can do into the pump, or you can just let them do it with the nurses. That's not uncommon. I know there's a big uh, dislike to adding volume to the pump that it's going to, like platelets, so it's going to, all the platelets will get lost in the oxygenator. Well, that's really not true. I mean, but, but I know people believe that, uh, but it's, it isn't accurate. Um, you can give platelets into the 
pump. It's not going to filter any more or less out than it would be doing already. And if you've been on ECMO for several weeks uh, with the same circuit, which I'm not sure is a good idea because that's a different topic, but a conversation that I think it's worth having. Um, most of the time that you spend watching ECMO is going to be, you know, just there, just in case. Now, when there is a just in case moment, you just never know when it's going to be. Um, it really helps to have the experience to be able to deal with things that happen. Um, that case that I talked about where we had the uh, bilateral tension pneumothoraces uh, was just, you know, I, I mean, somebody else would have eventually said, well, I mean, let's go through the algorithm here. We need to get a chest X-ray um, as part of that algorithm. It just would have made sense. Um, but before the radiology showed up to do the actual X-ray, I knew that patient had a tension pneumothorax. And of course, I've been doing it for over 40 years, and, uh, and that helps. For those of you who may be younger in your career, um, that can be a very frightening circumstance, not understanding what is wrong. But my message to you would be, you just have to sort of think it through, take it step by step, try to figure it out, um, and, uh, and learn, uh, because you have to experience, you know, you have to go through some of these experiences. You can only read and remember so much. You remember best when you actually live through a circumstance. So I wanted to add that to this, but most of the time you really spend your time doing very little unless you're weaning or you're doing things like that. I do want to talk about settings on the ECMO circuit. Uh, one thing you definitely do not want to do is to wean a VA ECMO ever by decreasing your FiO2 on the ECMO circuit. You never do that. I've seen that happen a couple of occasions. VV ECMO makes sense. VA ECMO, absolute uh, no, no, no. If anybody disagrees with me, or somebody feels differently for some reason, please call in, text in, uh, chat in, whatever it is you, you want to do. Um, so keep that in mind. All right, so, but VV ECMO, that does make sense. And then I want to talk about this idea of capping the membrane. Uh, a friend of mine brought this up, and I was like, what are you talking about capping the membrane? And they said what they do is they clamp the actual oxygen line going into the oxygenator uh, for, and I can't remember the reason they said, I, I don't think that makes any sense uh, because you're really not capping it off uh, because you have a gas outlet port. We're going to explore the oxygenator over there in the circuit in just a second. But after we do that, I want to talk again a little bit about hypovolemia. We're not going to pull everything up. We're just going to do it over there and look at the patient uh, because sometimes you don't even see it on the monitor. You'll just see a little shiver. And when you do see it, a little jump in the line, it'll catch your attention. And uh, of course, that means you're there paying attention. If you're really deep into a book or a movie or YouTube videos, or you're not on the unit, 
uh, and someone doesn't notice, it usually starts off with something very subtle, very minor. The patient has no consequence to it whatsoever. And then over time, it just gets worse and worse and worse until then you start seeing some change and alarm is going off on the monitor, whatever the case may be. Now, it, you know, does that mean that, you know, oh my God, you didn't see that? And it doesn't mean that it's going to have negative long-term impact on the patient. And I think that's important to recognize as well. You know, these patients are very sick. They're going to be there for a very long period of time. There's going to be many occasions where they're going to have severe hypoxemia, severe hypotension. Uh, there's gonna be all kinds of things going on and happening to them at any one particular period or moment in time. But by and large, uh, hypovolemic chatter is not something that is uh, catastrophic by any means unless you just completely lose your flow. Now you have to ask yourself, is this happening because of hypovolemia or is this happening because you're starting to develop some clot? So obviously you have to be pretty sure that your anticoagulation protocol is okay that your or your anticoagulation status at that moment if the last ptt you got back was 34 you might want to start being real concerned that chatter might be from another reason than hypovolemia if it was 56 or 60 and you're flowing four liters a minute or 4.5 liters a minute five liters a minute even 3.5 liters a minute the likelihood is very, very high that thrombus in the line is not going to be a problem, though that has happened to me as well. And uh, I can uh, I have a nice picture of that, as a matter of fact, which I find. Very, in fact, you know what? I'd like, can I show it to you? Let me grab it because I want to show you this. This is a very, I think, instructive and in, 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 in informative picture. I'm going to come back over there, David. I just going over here to grab my phone. Yay. I heard from Ann and she's going to make it. She's on her way from the Memorial Southwest area. So she should not be too terribly long. That's fantastic. Take her about 45 minutes to get here. And she's, she's coming in as the cavalry and she's going to really bail me out. But I want to show you this picture because I think it's, can I share my phone, I think? Mm-hmm. All right. Start broadcasting. All right. There we go. And I'm going to pull up my photos. And let me find that photo. I'm the world's worst. I, I don't. I just saw it earlier uh, by luck. And then I want to show you some more things on the app which I think are worthwhile before we go back over to the ECMO. This is an interesting picture. I want to show you this. This is <coughs> probably not really the thing, but I have never in my life seen a, an aortic gradient that high before. So you see the uh, aortic pressure is 82 
and the uh, pressure in the left ventricle, the higher one is 220. So that is the highest gradient I have ever seen in my life. All right, you can take that down. I just wanted to stop and show that picture. Yeah. There you go. You, yeah, you probably don't want to show all those pictures. That could really get bad. That could be bad. Exactly, exactly. Completely understand that. I think I'm getting close. Okay, all right, throw it up real quick. Here's a picture of David on a video. Well, I'm not, we're not, there we go, we're seeing it, yeah. And uh, remember this, where did we do that? I don't remember where that was. That was fun. Yeah, you take that away, that's my daughter. Can you take it down? Yeah, he's a good down. Thank you. And uh, let's see. I know I'm getting there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I probably should put these in certain categories, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody want to say anything? Do we have any comments coming across, Magic? I really want to find this. I probably should have done it earlier. But now I'm committed. I can't, I can't abandon it. I have to do it. You ever been like that where you just can't, you can't stop? Like, I'm committed. This is going to happen. I have to show it. I have to find it. And it was funny because Anne was there. And the reason that I thought of it is because she's on her way to do the uh, fireside chat, which is, which is actually conversations uh, in the infer at the Inferno. How do you say that, David? Five alarm chat, yes, conversations at the Inferno. That is correct. I'm almost there. Pretty sure I'm getting there. There it is. Found it. Okay. Yeah, let's put that up. And can you make that any bigger? Or how can I make it bigger? Turn my phone sideways. You don't worry about putting me in the picture. Just blow it up right over me. And look at that. What you see, um, I don't know how I can actually point to it. There's no way for me to point to that, is there? That's perfect. You can actually see the clot. That's okay, David. I don't need to be in the shot. So, if you, if, is there a way for me to point at it? Not, oh, okay. Can you put it at the green screen? Okay, dude, put that on the green screen. That is such a good idea. I like that. Okay. There you go. Okay, so what you're seeing, there's the clot. And 
what you're, and, and this white thing here, I'll show you over there, actually is part of the pump. That isn't anything to do with it. But what you're seeing here, this ring, this corona that you see, is actually cavitation and air, because there's no air in the circuit, but air got pulled out of solution, and this is a big ring of air, and you're seeing the white of the cone. And it was so incredibly remarkable. The thing is spinning, and it just created this pocket of air. So there's blood here, air there, blood over here, and you see this big clot right here. And uh, of course, we had to change this out. This We changed the whole circuit very, very quickly. But that was, I'm gonna go back over here. But that was during the time when we were doing the zero anticoagulation. Okay, so let's go over our app. I wanna show you our app because I don't think we spend enough time with that. I still should be sharing. So, uh, is it not uh, NDIing? It okay. Begin broadcasting. I don't know why it kicks, kicks me off. Yeah. Okay. There you go. It's back on. So, let's go to our main app, um, which is this one, the Critical Care Perfusion app. And you can get this on the App Store, you can get this on Google Play, whatever the case may be. But since we're doing ECMO, let's look at, let's go through all of these things that we can do. So if you're an ECMO specialist, I think this has great utility. The PAO2 is uh, uh, 87. The FIO2 on the vent is 70. Calculate. Your PF ratio is 124. And as I described earlier, you can see it's red. If you look up in the top right, you see that little eye. If we click on that, it's going to give you information. It's going to give you the equation this is based on. It's going to give you the parameters and units. It's going to give you about the equation parameters, the outputs, and about the parameters. So whenever you have a PF ratio that is under 300, because let's see what normal is, right? Normally, we live off of a PAO2 of, I'll just say it's uh, 100 even, and we breathe 21% oxygen as a general rule. My PF ratio is 476. So basically, um, if you uh, take into consideration that anything under 300, you need to start being concerned. Under 200, you really need to be concerned. Under 150, that's pretty indicative you need to be on ECMO. Uh, and anything below that, uh, you really do. So I have seen many patients with... PO2s of, let's say, 67, and they're on 100% on the uh, vent trying to get them stable. And that's a PF ratio, as you see there, of 67. That's very, very, very bad and very severe. So you really need to get that patient on ECMO. You have an ABG interpreter. You can take a pH that's 
0.30. That's an acidotic pH. We'll give you a pCO2 of 50, and we'll give you a bicarb level of 26. That is going to be what? Everybody should know what that's going to be. It's going to be respiratory acidosis, acute respiratory acidosis. Why acute? Well, it's acute respiratory acidosis because you don't have a bicarb level that's really abnormal. Again, you can click the I, and it's going to give you four-step guide to ABG uh, analysis. It's going to tell, give you what respiratory acidosis and alkalosis is, metabolic acidosis and metabolic alkalosis, and what that looks like in an acute phase and be able to interpret those. So you can very quickly look at a pH and a pCO2, and really those are the only two things that you need to tell whether or not the patient is metabolically or respiratorily uh, acidotic. You can tell immediately just based on those two numbers. The Murray acute uh, score for acute lung injury, very important if you have consolidation in all four quadrants, you have a PF ratio of, uh, let's say, uh, less than, a, well, we'll say 100 to 174. You're needing PEEP 6 to 8. Uh, your compliance is uh, 40 to 59. Calculate, and your results are 2.5 points, mild to moderate, not eligible for ECMO. So it gives you that information. If we changed the compliance and calculated it, let's go the other direction. That gives you three points. That's severe, and so your Murray lung score would be three. It's severe, eligible for ECMO. So it gives you that information right here at your fingertips. Um, the, uh, your oxygen content uh, AVO2 difference, so you can calculate that. Your arterial oxygen content, that gets used in a whole lot of formulas, especially DO2. So, and, and I think it's so interesting to look at. So your hemoglobin, I'm gonna put as 10. And these are so I can remember the numbers. Your SAO2 is going to be, I'm gonna make it 98. And I'm gonna give a PAO2 of 110. So 90, 10, 98, 110. That's going to give me a uh, arterial oxygen content of 13.67. If I change the PaO2, so remember 13.67. If I change this to 150, not changing the saturation, it doesn't make much of a difference at all. If I change the saturation to 100%, Again, it didn't make much change at all. But if I change this hemoglobin to 12, it makes a little bigger difference. If I change it to 15, it makes an even bigger difference. But you'll notice, oh, I didn't make it 12. I made it that, I'm sorry. I'll make it 14. Look, now it's normal, so it's green. And it's uh, 17 mLs per deciliter is considered normal. 
And so anything below that, actually it's 18, I'm sorry, is considered normal. No, 17, yeah, 17 to 20 is considered normal. Anything below 17. So this makes an enormous difference. If you start off with a hemoglobin of 14 with these parameters, a normal CaO2, but we knock your hemoglobin all the way down to eight, it goes all the way to 11.35. And this is what I was trying to demonstrate. Your SAT's 100%. If I make, so let me see, what's that number again? Let's go back and remember that. 11.35, help me remember that. I can change this to 300, double it. It only took it from 11.35 to 11.81, almost no difference. But if I go back here and I make this, I had this as 150, it should be 11.35, but I add two grams of hemoglobin and make that 10, it takes it all the way to 14.07. So you're, of course, we all know this is perfusionist to medical practitioners. Your hemoglobin is where you get your uh, arterial oxygen content from, not your PO2. It's very, very, very minor contributor to that. Uh, you can get your mixed venous oxygen content. You can get your, uh, your uh, oxygen delivery. This is the new thing now with uh, goal-directed perfusion, right? Your cardiac output is four liters. Your CaO2 is a little bit low because you're hemodiluted, so I'm going to make it 15. Your DO2 is 600. You would have to increase your flow. We'll go to five liters per minute to get it to normal. So 700, I believe it's 700 and higher. No, 750 and higher to 1200 is normal. So 750 is your floor on that. So you need a cardiac output of five with a CaO2, arterial oxygen content of 15 milliliters per deciliter in order to reach a normal DO2. But that normal DO2 is not predicated on a patient on bypass who is anesthetized uh, completely, is paralyzed, um, and is cool. So all of those things are going to play a role in what is your actual required DO2. So you have to take all those things into consideration. Uh, you obviously have your DO2I, your index, if you like to use that. You have an oxygen extraction rate, which you can measure. Uh, you have oxygen consumption that you can measure. You have SVR, colloidonchotic pressure. If the uh, globulin is mm, four, no, make it lower than that. Your globulin is two and your albumin is four and calculate your COP is 24. Albumin is your primary driver. If you have an albumin of 2.1, you can see your COP drops dramatically down to 14.35. Uh, so third spacing could be in fact a problem. This is something I think is really in my view, underappreciated in whether it be ECMO or whether we went through that phase where we didn't want to give albumin at all. No, it's going to hurt the lungs. Well, no, it's not going to hurt the lungs. If you have a capillary leak, it's going to hurt everything. But that's a capillary leak. Capillary leak syndrome is a completely different thing, usually associated with sepsis, but severe inflammatory response syndrome. Um, generally speaking, you don't. But if you leave your albumin level low, down 1.8, 2.0, 2.1, that is actually a, 
a, uh, an, uh, an independent indicator for mortality. So correcting the albumin is hugely important to keep volume from third spacing out and keeping it in the intravascular space and actually reclaiming some uh, fluid from the tissues where you may have generalized edema of all of the organs and there's a lot of organ dysfunction associated with that. You can get your O2 transfer rate. Very important to decide, is my oxygenator working or not? If your SAO2 is 100% and your, but your PO2 is running low and your SVO2 is, let's say, um, I'll make it 60, your hemoglobin is um, uh, 10. Well, actually, I take that back. You have to pick a hemoglobin of 13. There's a control. And that's because they're, all of the oxygenators are rated on a control of 13. And then pick your flow rate at 4.5 liters per minute. That's going to give you an O2 transfer rate of 0.31. And you can, uh, you can look at that and look at what it's rated as. And this should be 4,500. We need to change that so it's liters per minute. So it gives you an O2 transfer of 313 milliliters per minute, which is usually that's pretty good. Uh, but they're all rated at a hemoglobin of 13. So there's a control. I showed you the E-cylinder. And for those who didn't see it, if you look at it and you have 600 cc's left in the tank and you're flowing four liters per minute, you have 52 minutes of oxygen left in that e-cylinder tank. So I think that's very worthwhile. An ECMO selection algorithm, and this is for patients with refractory hypoxemia and a Murray lung score of between three and four, you have to go through and ask yourself, is this cardiogenic, if there's, is there cardiogenic shock? If there is, but the cardiogenic shock is due to hypoxemia, you click this and then you ask, it'll give you, uh, due to hypoxemia, you wanna do venovenous ECMO. If your cause was for another reason, your cardiogenic shock, all other heart failure, then you want to do venoarterial or venoarterial venous ECMO, which would be uh, VAV ECMO, right? Um, and then you can go back to this. Without vasodilatory shock, you just want venovenous ECMO. So if your Murray lung score is three to four and you do not have any kind of cardiogenic shock or vasodilatory shock where you need circulatory support and pressors are working versus not, then you would just do VV ECMO. But very important because I've seen this before where the patient was decompensating. They had obvious cardiogenic shock, but the patient was very, very hypoxemic. And uh, I thought they were going to do VA ECMO. It was Dr. Matoyer decided, no, I'm doing VV ECMO because I think the heart is failing simply because of the lack of oxygenation. And in fact, that is what the algorithm says. We did VV ECMO and their heart perked right back up again. And that patient went on actually to do fine and went back to work at the same hospital where we were, where he was an employee. Um, so I thought that was very interesting. Okay, there's the app. Let's talk about the ELSA meter a little bit, if we can. So for those who may have missed that earlier, so let's go to camera six and look, let's look right at the ELSA meter here. So 
the, the way the Elsimeter works, I'm going to turn it off and then just turn it back on. Okay? And let that come on. So it, it, essentially, Transonic is a flow meter company here. Can I do that? Are you looking at me? Can you see? Can, okay. Is a flow meter company. And um, they do TTFM. Uh, many out there may be familiar with the Medistim, but these are the original designers of uh, TTFM, which is Transit Time uh, Flow Measurement and TTFM. And they use it for the coronaries. You can use it for the aorta. You can use it for the carotid, a variety of different places. But these are the folks that developed it. And they have a, uh, an engineer that works with them. His name is Dr. Kravitsky. Um, and uh, he's been out here before. In fact, he taught us all how to drink Moscow mules the, uh, the Russian way. That doesn't make magic happy. Magic is from Poland. Um, he likes, he, he doesn't, he does he thinks Russian vodka is terrible. He prefers Polish vodka. It's true potato juice is what he calls it. Anyway, um, you, uh, we, w this device, uh, he designed this some years ago. It's really interesting because I had never heard of it until probably three or four years ago. And it is able to measure recirculation in your ECMO and recirculation in your ECMO is something that can happen with a fair, fairly high degree of regularity and uh, so important to recognize because it really makes a difference as to the effectiveness of your therapeutic modality vis-a-vis -vis the ECMO. Now, you can only measure recirculation in BV ECMO. You can't measure recirculation in BA ECMO, but the device also measures oxygenator blood volume. So I want to go over how we run the test. So let me grab my, um, oh, there it is. So this is my cup. And in the cup, for the purposes of this, I have water with just a touch of vegetable glycerin. And the reason I'm using that is that this has water in it, distilled water. Um, and uh, the ECMO simulator, or the circuit that you see here running. And so we need something that has a different density for it to, to analyze it. Normally, this is filled with blood, and we use sterile normal saline and inject it. Um, there are some challenges when you use this with, let's say, the, the uh, cardio help, because the cardio help and uh, the oxygenator and the centrifugal cone are incorporated in a single unit. And uh, Dr. Kravitsky has some very interesting videos that show the flow propagation through it. It's going to be very different than it is with our system that you see here. But let me just go through the whole process with you. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to add a patient. And it's very intuitive, very easy to use. Can you focus in on this a little tighter? There you go, so people can read it, yeah. And just maybe down a little bit. So it's kind of in the middle of the screen, a little more. Oh, okay, it's as far down as it goes, okay. So we're gonna add the last name and we're gonna call this um, fella, can we pick a name for this guy? I know, Skrodalovich, how do you spell that? <laughs> That's Magic's name, no, we're gonna do that. So we're going to call him, we live on Rule Lane, so we're going to give him, or the studio is on Rule Lane. So we're going to call it Rule, 
and we're going to give him a first name of Magnolia. So we're just going to call him Mag for short for now. Uh, we'll just call him, yeah, we'll just say, let me, let me take that back. Up, oh, I messed up. Add patient R, yeah, it's got a very nice touch screen. R-U-E-L, and I'm trying not to have my head in the image, so it's maybe a little hard, and my, I'm using my, my bifocals. All of this is hard to do, and we're going to call him Mag, M-A-G, all right? And we're going to hit OK, and we're going to give him a uh, medical record number of 43567, and click OK. So at this point in time, and we'll add patient, we can do, well, okay, find patient, let's try mag, uh, man, mm. okay, find patient, what did I say his last name was? Rule, right? P-Q-R-R-R-U-E-L, there he is. Okay, measure patient. There we go. VV ECMO, you could pick either. Recirculation and oxygenate our blood volume, and we can do this. But we can also go here, and we can monitor flows, and we can set flows, and we want to display two flows. So we're able to display two flows, an access flow and a return flow. And you may ask yourself, why is the return flow here? And can we show the ECMO circuit? The, uh, this part, the monitors. The, the, yeah, those. There you go, 2.7 liters. So it's correlating with the 2.8, but yet you have that coming out. I know why, what the reason is. If I turn this this way, and if I go over here, and I clamp this line, which is actually a shunt that I use to do this, you'll see that those numbers are now all coming back into agreement. Now, there is a difference between the ECMO flow meter because the, none of these probes, and Transonic will do this, have not been calibrated, but you see now that on the ELSA meter, they're both reading exactly the same, and that's because I clamped that line over there. So I'm going to go up on the RPMs a little bit and get my flow up to about 3.2, that's good. And I'm going to pull up some saline. Now, what else this is really good for is that, and we, in adults, we just pull up 20 cc's. That's usually pretty good. And what this is also good for is if we had cannulation, let's say we added another venous, I can take that arterial probe, reverse it, put it on the other venous, and be able to measure the return flow and both access flows simultaneously. If we added another return cannula, let's say in the left subclavian, so we had one access, two returns, or we went VAV, put it in the femoral artery, 
I can have flow probes on all three of those lines and be able to fine tune by restricting the flow to the various returns to get the combination that I want. So we're going to accept this and we're going to uh, measure the patient. So we're going to go back and we're going to go recirc oxygenator blood volume, click OK, and it's going to go through a countdown. Now, for those of you who weren't here for the first part of the, the, uh, the uh, lecture this morning, we're, we want to know how much, what it's asking is how much volume is in the line from the place where I'll in inject to the inlet of the oxygenator, which is here. That's going to be about 20 cc's, so about how much I have in my hand here, maybe just a little bit more, but it's wanting to know this for oxygenator blood volume. You can measure it or just be consistent with whatever you do. With the cardio help, because you don't have a line like this, it goes directly into the inlet where the cone is. You can't actually, when you give it, there's no straight line. It's going to all be mixed in that cone very rapidly, making it a little more difficult. So for cardio help users, I think they're coming up with some solutions, but other than cutting a line, in which you really can't do, it's almost impossible to use this when you're not using a separate centrifugal cone and oxygenator in this configuration. And Dr. Kravitsky can explain that to you probably better than I can. So we're going to put this at 20 cc's, and we're going to click OK. Now it's telling me that I can, uh, when countdown is finished, it will give me the option. It'll say uh, ready to measure, but we're not there yet. So we have to let this time run down. It's now at 45 seconds. So while it's doing that, can you go to camera four? And let me see who is texting me. It could be somebody telling me that they're on their way or late or whatever it may be. And nope, it's just about the uh, cases. So we're in good shape there. So basically when you measure recirculation, you wanna have your, uh, any shunts you may have on off. And uh, so we have this turned off. And then I have a line there that allows me to uh, increase the recirculation, make, take it from zero all the way up to 70, 80% um, and various different. So we're gonna shoot several of these um, to see how this works. So let's see, we're countdown's almost over and we should get it, yep, ready to measure. And now you see we're getting a green light here and we're ready to go. There's no sense of urgency to do this. What is important is making sure any shunts you have coming from the top of the oxygenator, going back in, it's off right here, are turned off. So you can actually do this and turn it completely off, and now you know it's completely off to the oxygenator, okay? But I know it's off if I leave it up, but I'm gonna do it that way for now. And when I inject, if you watch the screen of the Elsimeter, not long after my injection, you will see it go into um, system analyzing mode and it's automatic so there's nothing else you have to do. Always make sure you have a dead-end stopcock here. In fact, every stopcock should have a dead-end stopcock. I'm going to inject, I'm applying pressure and it needs to be rapid. Not super fast, but fast. 
about that fast is perfect. Now we can come here and we can watch and you will see it go default into on its own into analyzing. Please, please wait. And it takes 60 seconds. We're at uh, 50 seconds remaining. And as I said, you should never add a stopcock directly to a connector. And if I had one to show you, I think I might. Let me see if I can find one. Yeah, there's one right there. This will work. Yeah, that's all right. Let me just grab this stuff. This is just, I just want to show people this. I think it's important. I didn't hit the camera, though, or anything, right? No, they could just see me bending over. I'm sorry. Okay, so here is a stopcock on a connector. Um, can we go to camera? Uh, oh, here, this is doing this. Okay, so let's do this first. So take a look. Your recirculation is zero. I'm going to hit accept because it was the first time we ran this patient. Recirculation is zero. Any time, and this is your first line, is your oxygenated blood volume. Then you have your pass to your arterial sensor. And nothing, eventually you do see it come back to the venous and then go back to the arterial. You'll see that through the capillary bed throughout. Any time you see a recirculation of zero, and it doesn't matter how great the surgeon believes they are or the cannulator believes they are, nobody can be that perfect. Uh, it's usually an indication, which we talked about in our scenario, of a hyperdynamic state of the patient, meaning you're only flowing three, three and a half, four liters, their cardiac output is eight liters. That mismatch is almost exclusively why you see that. Now, we're gonna remeasure, only I'm gonna make some changes in my system, and I designed this to be able to demonstrate this. Okay, there you go. And it's not, you know, it's funny because I had to sort of dance around all this stuff. That's what it's like in an ICU, as a matter of fact. Usually very tight quarters. It's never, it's never you have all the room in the world. And the bigger you get and the older you get and the less flexible you get, the more difficult it is to get in and out. So we have 20 cc's, we've already hit measure. We have a green light. I made an adjustment over there, and we're going to get ready. One, two, and three. Nice big injection. Goes quick. And we're going to watch this. And it takes about 60 seconds. And then I'm going to show you about these stopcocks, because that's something that I think is, is something that you that is very, uh, uh, again, underappreciated. It's a lot like renal failure. We grossly underappreciate uh, renal failure in cardiac surgery. And uh, in fact, I think when patients go on ECMO, now not everyone needs CRRT, I can't argue that, but the way I feel about it is everyone should get CRRT 
Um, there's an argument, well, you're adding something, adding complexity, taking risk by adding it. I agree with that. But I think CRRT is not used the way it really is intended to be used. Yes, it's great for patients who are in acute kidney injury, acute renal failure, but you can use it for fluid balance management. You can use it for acid-base management, electrolyte management, um, keeping a, a homeostatically normal environment. Because when you put someone on ECMO, I will tell you this, it's life-saving, but it's not good for you. It's helpful to that patient, but if I take you as a normal, healthy human being and put you on ECMO, it isn't going to be good for you at all. So you have to take into consideration that the ECMO is very inflammatory. So you have a patient that's already inflammatory and you're going to present now another inflammatory process to them and circuitry. I think that dealing with that, with CRRT, is much better than giving the body the, and, and many times the opportunity will work and they will clear all of that and settle down. But why? We could clear it ourselves. You can clear lactate, you can clear inflammatory mediators. There's so many things you can do with CRRT and provide that very homeostatically neutral environment, which is going to help the patient heal faster. So let's go back and take a look at this. Look at that. The recirculation is 100%. That might have been a little extreme. So let me make it a little bit less extreme than that. I have to adjust my clamp. It's a little bit of eyeballing and guesswork. That might be better. Let's try that one more time. That result is a little too much but it's possible with complete right heart failure but the patient is going to be really really unstable let's try that one more time go here i've already hit the button i'll give it the old injectoroo done and we'll let that go oh i didn't hit measure ready to measure oh somebody watching me so as you could well imagine the patient from me has now received 20, 40, 60. This will be 80 cc's of volume. So if they're not making any urine, you got to think about that too. Let's try that one more time. There. Okay. Should go into analyze mode. And it's analyzing. Very good. So let's go back to our stopcocks. Let's go over here. Camera six. And maybe we can look at both me and this. Mm-hmm. Any more? Yeah, there you go. That's perfect. Dude, that's perfect. Okay. This, this is a 3-8 straight connector right here. This is a little pigtail, and they come in a variety of sizes with a stopcock on the end. And this fits on here. And these stopcocks have non-vented you always want to make sure that you put non-vented on here as i showed you earlier you turn the stopcock the wrong way and you have air all your system if you have it pressurized and you just get sprayed with some blood well you 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 can deal with that pretty quickly just by turning the stopcock but if it's air it doesn't take very long but the beauty of this is this is not going to break you, somebody hits this, bumps it, 
not going to break. Contrary to that, if you take this and you have, I'm going to take this off and I'm going to use this as this directly on there. And I've seen it happen. This is very easy to break. I can get it to hold still, not spin. There. There, I broke it. It's broken. This is broken. And when it breaks, if it breaks completely off inside the stopcock, the uh, connector, now it's cracked and there is no fixing it. The only thing you can do, you can't even get this off. The only thing you can do at this point in time, and it's a fire drill, you need another 3838 connector. You have to clamp here. It's going, if it's on the positive side, it's going to be a bloody mess. Clamp here. You have to do it as sterily and cleanly as possible, and you have to connect it. So this is broken very easily. I think I can get it off. I can. But if this connector breaks or a piece of this breaks off inside of it, there's not going to be any getting it off. You can't get that out. So you can't just replace the stopcock the, the stop portion. If you have it like this, it is much safer, much safer to work with. You can't do anything with it. And that's why you want that. So going back over here, your recirculation is 42%. So 42% means if I'm flowing four liters, which up there is 3.87, my effective ECMO flow is only 2,330. Now this can be at that value, uh, that can be, let's go to camera four. That number can be indicative of cardiac failure that number can be indicative of uh, catheter malposition that you saw where it was in the uh, right, uh, right, excuse me, the right ventricle. It could be pulled back out. There's uh, any number of things that can cause that as a problem. So with all of that said, I think I have covered all of this. We're going to take another short break I know that Ann is going to be here for our fireside chat. And uh, is there anything that you can think of? Anybody have a comment? Anybody want to ask me to go over something that I can go over with our system at this point in time? Magic? Anybody want to call in? You want me to read the number out? No. Yes, the number is 832 Somebody help me. Eight three two two three nine five three five eight. If you want to be live on the air and talk to us, eight three two two three nine five three five eight, and I can show you some other things. In the meantime, uh, we're going to take a short break. We're going to wait for Ann to join us, and we'll wrap up the day. How does that sound for everybody? Sound good? All right, let's do it. 